Time again for another Word Balloon podcast. Welcome back, everybody. It's John Suntress here with another double feature for you, a great one. We've got, first up, Judd Winnick. Man, I've missed Judd Winnick. We haven't talked in about two years because he's been working on a very secret project, getting back to cartooning. Of course, we know his excellent superhero work, whether it's been at Marvel on uh, books like Exiles or his great DC work in the Batman world, uh, Shazam as well. Uh, great stuff. He, of course... Uh, Picked up the baton from Jeff Loeb on uh, Jason Todd and Red Hood and just went running with uh, so many great stories, including Under the Red Hood and uh, a little bit of that uh, post uh, Superboy Prime uh, cosmic punch that allowed uh, Jason to be revived and set his new course, uh, ushering in the new 52. He also did uh, work on uh, Batwing and Catwoman as part of the brand new 52. And then he stepped away. He got back to cartooning. Uh, back to his uh, Barry Ween and Frumpy the Crown roots, and has come up with an all-ages adventure called Hilo. Man, it is a lot of fun, and I'm very happy for him. It is debuting in September. You must get this book. It is fun for adults. It's fun for kids. It's uh, got a great kind of Bill Watterson, Charles Schultz feel to it, but it is not schmaltzy in any way, as I tell him. It is fun, high adventure, and it is the start of a, of a new series of young adult books that Judd Winnick is doing. Can't wait to talk to him about that and a few observations he has on the superhero world, on will he, if ever, get back to some of his other uh, creator-owned ideas like uh, Caper and things like that. We discuss it all in part one of Word Balloon. Part two, I'm talking to my friend Dwayne Burkhardt. Dwayne is a science fiction writer. We go back to our high school days, and I'm very happy to help him uh, debut his first science fiction book that is available now all over the place, including Amazon. And we get into detail on that in our conversation. But it's a, a great science fiction adventure that if you like astronauts and you like uh, alien invasion conspiracies, I think uh, Gopto is uh, your kind of Gopto is one of your uh, kind of books. So uh, we'll talk to Dwayne Burkhardt about that in part two of Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con coming up uh, September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Center in Cincinnati. We're going to be giving you details on that. But, you know, that's Tony Moore's show. So many of our friends are uh, great creators are going to be there all weekend. Word Balloon will be there as well. I'll be moderating the panels and we'll give you the details in the next segment. But Word Balloon is also brought to you by In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Great variety of trade paperbacks, hardcovers, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and essentials, all waiting for you at great reduced prices, sometimes as much as 50 to 75% off the standard retail price. Case in point, how about Iron Fist, The Living Weapon? Uh, Kari Andrews, excellent uh, volumes of uh, Danny Rand. On his own, uh, we've got Volume 2, Redemption, just came out this week. It is 42% off, just $10.43. An excellent Iron Fist story from Kari Andrews, available at a reduced rate at InStockTrades.com. You can get Walking Dead, Trade Paperback, Volume uh, 24, Life and Death. Uh, that is 45% off, just $8.24. You can get uh, Marvel Universe, all new, Avengers Assemble Digest, Volume 2. That is uh, by uh, Joe Carmanga and others, uh, but it uh, collects uh, the Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble Season 2, uh, the all-ages comic from uh, issues 5 through 8. It's uh, just $4.99 at InStockTrades.com. How about uh, good experimentation from Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti on G.I. Zombie, a star-spangled war story. The trade paperback, including excellent art from Scott Hampton, is... Uh, 
50% off just $8.49. From Gabe Hardman and Karina Becco, the first volume of Invisible Republic. Who uh, draws that book? I know, that's me jamming myself. Of course it's Gabe. But uh, he and Karina did an excellent job on uh, Invisible Republic. It's a great start for another science fiction conspiracy, uh, but I love it. Volume 1 is uh, 50% off, just $4.99. No excuse. Great price to introduce yourself to the world of Invisible Republic through uh, InStockTrades.com. Lots of other great books are on sale as well. Check out all the details that are waiting for you. If your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. That's at InStockTrades.com. Let me clear my throat as I uh, prepare to uh, give you our conversation with Judd Winnick. Uh, I like Judd. I always have, man. And it really tickled me to know that he likes Word Balloon. So it's always a pleasure to uh, talk to Judd. I don't talk to him as regularly as I do, uh, say, a Greg Rucker or Brian Bendis or some of the other guys. But uh, when we get together, it is old home week. And I am, I'm so happy for him because I know that Hilo, his brand new young adult adventure series, was a real passion project for him, as he discusses. And uh, it's a success. And I am absolutely on board with this. It's a wonderful idea. It's a great first book. And I look forward to more of them. He, uh, he really understands these characters and uh, brings them out in a way that kids will get what's happening and uh, parents will not be bored having to read this to their kids or help their kids if it's a first reader kind of situation. But uh, this is a great, great book. Hilo. Happy to talk to Judd Winnick about it. Cartoonist and author now on Word Balloon. Very happy to welcome back Judd Winnick to Word Balloon. It is always a pleasure, man. Uh, how you been? I've been really well. It is good to be back, sir. It's hey, always good you know, to talk to you. Likewise, it, it, uh, I remember you telling me, hey, I got this uh, kid's book brewing, and uh, you were really excited about it th- then, so we finally get Hilo, the boy who crashed to Earth, and uh, it was worth the wait, man. This is really fun. It's It's funny, good adventure. I mean, this is all your strengths rolled into one. It truly is. Yeah, I actually I kind of hit upon that idea myself a little while ago. It's like, you know what, this is kind of like, all my stuff thrown into a blender and, uh, you know, out it comes. I mean, from, you know, from comic strips to superhero books to, you know, kids animated series. Now, mm-hmm. I think I've, <laughs> yeah, I'm i 45 and I think I finally found my groove. Now, now this is <laughs> it took a little while to get my swing, but I'm good now. This is where I think I should be at, what I should be doing. Oh, man. Well, you know, we'll get into it because – and we'll focus on the book now, but we want to talk about all those aspects. The, but it, it truly is. I mean, this is a good adventure story that I think your your superhero fans will absolutely appreciate. Um, very relatable characters. It's it's a sweet story without being saccharine, but it's a, it's a nice approachable story that I could see – uh, tweeners reading on their own. I could see parents reading it to a slightly, you know, younger audience, maybe a first reader audience that you can kind of sit with and 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 help them along. But I mean, that's the thing. I real, I honestly, and I and I say this as your classic Uncle Buck who doesn't have children, <laughs> right? And and really, you know, it's. I mean, I, I love the fact that uh, there is uh, this. You know, truly, uh, that that now more than ever, we're getting really really good comics for kids. But, um, you know, that's not what I'm reading. Right. I'm, you know, and I'm an adult. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very ancient adult. But, I mean, that was the thing. I never felt um, bored 
and I and I mean I really think you had a good story pace, great characters, and it's uh, it's something that I think an adult would be very happy to read to their kids, and especially um, a comic reader of yours that wants to share something much like you did in terms of you know, in, and you say it in the press release for the book that you know your kid was hoping to read some of your superhero stuff, and you're like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's it's very it's very heartening that you uh, uh, that you mentioned that that I mean that well. I wanted to do an all ages book. We are of course selling it as a, as a kid's book, but at the same time, um, I do want to put it out there and I'm so glad that you felt that I actually haven't spoken to that many, I'll, I'll say straight up adults, meaning not parents, <laughs> you know, regular good old fashioned comic book readers who read comics or whatnot, uh, who read the book and appreciate it on its own two feet. Not that like my kid's going to love this. I really shot for trying to do kind of like a Pixar movie. You know, no one, mm-hmm. no one who goes to a Pixar movie. I mean, yes, it, you, you sit there and go, yeah, this is, this is for kids, but it's for me too. You know, it's, we're trying to do things that are, that are truly all ages. Uh, so for me to hear that again, very hardening. So thank you, sir. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, but you, I mean, you, you delivered, and that's that's great because, um, and and that's the thing. I think it is tough, um, a to to find something that you can read to your children, but also that will entertain you while you're doing it. And I and I really think you succeeded here. I mean, it's very relatable. Um, and and the great thing is. What I love is in your storytelling, you've always been a great cartoonist, you know, going back to Frumpy and uh, stuff like that. And it's we get your fun comic strip style, but telling this good uh, on the one on the one hand uh, relationship story in terms of uh, DJ and and Hilo and uh, Gina the three friends uh, that, that are explored in this, in this book, the way that uh, DJ relates to his family. Uh, but then also when it's time for action and stuff like that, it's seamless. You go into, you know, your, your classic Marvel or DC superhero stuff and it works. Thank I mean, you. that's the great thing. God, I love some of the poses that you put Hilo in when uh, he's showing his special abilities. I want to, I want to keep it quiet, but you know, it's, it, <laughs> we, you know, we got yeah, well, the, yeah. the the book, yeah, man. The book's called "The Boy Who Crashed to Earth," so clearly he's coming with uh, not just uh, good hair and good teeth. He uh, <laughs> he uh, he's got some abilities. Well, that, yeah, uh, he shows I, no no lie. It's 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 kind of like a superhero story in disguise, um, as you as everyone will forever see that you know all the kids are wearing their same. They'll be wearing mostly their same outfits through the entire series, which is <laughs> you know he's got an insignia on his chest. Uh, I'll give it up by saying like yeah, he's got superpowers. He's 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 different from other kiddos. Um, but yeah, I was I was hoping to it. It kind of fell together. I mean, it kind of fell together that uh, to to like elaborate on the story, which I'm sure I'm going to tell a lot, uh, but I haven't told that much yet. The one that you read in in the press, you know, in the press release that came out with the book. My son asked me when he was seven. So this is about three years ago. Can you know, Dad? Can I read some of your Batman comics? Because he's you know he's getting the itch. He's seven sure. years old. He's seeing Batman around, and he's beginning to see. He was also beginning to see when he tells people, you know, like, yeah, my dad writes Batman. You know, grownups will stop and and ask you what <laughs> he, <laughs> he does. What? Because you know they've heard of that, and it's sort of like meeting a Keebler elf or something. No one actually writes <laughs> Batman. You know, no, no one actually makes those cookies. They're done by elves and trees. And so 
he he started to get interested in himself, and of course he loved Batman, and um, he'd already been watching a bit of like Brave and the Bold and some of the animated series. But I had to tell him, no, you can't you can't read Batman. You can't read my Batman because it's for it, it's for older kids and grown ups. And I'm sorry because Batman, you know, he's got anger issues and uh, yeah. doesn't doesn't exactly, you know deal with criminals by sitting them in a corner for, for a five minute timeout. Um, and, and, you know, and since we're on word blue, I can, I can even call it out here. So, you know, I wasn't going to show them the, 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 you know, the, the under the red hood arc, you know, right. it's just Jason Todd <laughs> stabbing and beheading people and things. It's not, this is not something I show my seven year old. So very long story short on that is, you know, I was poking around for the kids comics, which um, in the superhero genre, you know, coming right out of Marvel and DC, they don't really have much of anything. Uh, so I, I, I would have to poke around elsewhere. And, and honestly, the first thing I grabbed was Bone. You know, Jeff, sure. Jeff Smith's Bone, which, uh, you know, we've been reading for going on, I, I guess, 15 or 20 years. Maybe it was 20 years ago the Bone came out. But uh, Scholastic put out the, those spanking brand new versions that are colored and they're great. So gave gave. Gave it to my son, who at seven just totally flipped out and became a Bone super fan. And I know Jeff Smith. Jeff's a good guy. Told him that my son's a super fan. So he sent posters and action figures and T-shirts and all that. And, yeah, so I got my kid walking around here, you know, you know, with, with every bit of Bone paraphernalia hanging off him and hanging up calendars and all this. And I got jealous. <laughs> I just figured that I'm a cartoonist and I, I can do this too. I should be able to do something. He digs this hard. So that was, that was the, that was the start of it. Um, and then I just, as I got into it more, I, uh, I had to sort of embrace the idea that, you know, I'm only going to draw a certain way. This is me. You know, I, I draw like, like I'm doing a comic strip. Um, you know, somewhere between Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes. I'm a doodler. So I was yeah. never going to be able to do a superhero book that, um, uh, you know, like DC or Marvel or whatnot. But I figured, no, you know what? I can do it in an action adventure and I'll make it funny because that's what I like. Um, it should be a real straight up action adventure that's got tension and drama, but still lots of jokes. And that's that is when I started thinking about, yeah, it should feel like a Pixar movie. They, I mean, they are wall-to-wall humor, of course, but it's got lots of heart, and it's all about the characters, and um, that's when I, I kind of hit upon somewhere between E.T. and Doctor Who, we get this, we get this story, <laughs> which, you know, I guess the elevator pitch, as you mentioned, you, you've got, you got DJ, you've got this kid, Daniel Jackson Lim, DJ, who is uh, 10 years old and no good at anything, according to him. He's yep. got an overachieving family. He's got two older brothers and two younger sisters, and they are all very obviously great at something. He's got a brother who's a tennis star. He's got an older brother who's a chemistry whiz. His younger sisters are even worse. You know, one, she, she plays piano. She sings. She dances in ballet. His youngest sister is the smartest of the bunch. She skipped two grades. And DJ, just he's just okay. He's not particularly yep. good at anything, except three years ago, when he was seven, he used to be best friends with one of his neighbors, and her name was Gina. And he was great at that. He was great at being her best friend, and they were really, really tight. And then Gina moved away. And since then, DJ hasn't been good at anything. So here we are. He's 10 years old, not good at anything. And then suddenly one night, something drops out of the sky and crashes into his backyard. And when he goes to investigate the crater, there's a 
small boy in there about his age wearing silver underpants. <laughs> <laughs> and the boy is Hilo. And then after that, there's a lot of running around and yelling and giant insect robots and laser beams. And, you know, we're off to, to the races with, you know, what I think is a funny action adventure. And again, as you said, thank God, um, all ages is enough that a grown up can read it and, and actually really enjoy the heck out of it, too. So. So thank you, John, for straight up grown up who actually liked it. So there well, can mark the moment. I'm in, I'm in good company, though, man, because the aforementioned Jeff Smith, uh, Hilo is delightfully silly, tender and most importantly, funny. A good pull quote. And also uh, our pal Jeffrey Brown, fast paced, furiously funny and we'll have kids waiting on the edge of their seats. And then he gives the scream that kind of is the signature of of the uh, of the story, yeah. and, and I imagine kind of their code of ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really really good, man, and I and I'm really glad, and uh, I'm I'm not surprised because again, this is all your talents at work. Um, I. I wonder if um, did you did you bring your son in as you were doing it, or did you wait until it was done and show it to him when it was done? No, it was. A, I, I had to think about it, and at my first, someone had asked me, not even an interview, just someone just in passing, like, so, so was was your son helping editing? I go, no, no, I finished it, and then I got, and I thought about it, like, no, I really didn't. I think I was about fifty pages in, and uh, and gave him a like, so what do you think? And uh, you know, he very studiously went about reading it and uh then gave it back to me and, and just said where's the rest and i was like well i'm not done yet it's like well i want to read the rest i said do you like it like yeah <laughs> it was cool it was a yeah like of course stupid yeah um i said okay i'll go finish it like when when is it going to be done like well it's going to be a few months months man like it was it was i i was i was taking great pleasure in his disappointment um <laughs> So, yeah, he liked it right out of the gate. He was laughing in the right parts and was very interested in the characters. And he felt, you know, he felt bad for them where he needed to feel bad for them. So I was like, okay, okay. And, uh, you know, he was done. And after our back and forth, I got, I got pretty choked up. It's like, okay. So that's what that's like. All right. Awesome. <laughs> you make something for your kid and your kid really, really likes it. That's, that's what that's like. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and then when I, I was done, of course, uh, well, along the way, my wife, Pam, always reads everything, and she was like, yes, great. Go back and finish. That's great. Outstanding. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, do you guys just have the one child? We've got two. We've got a boy and a girl, and uh, and she digs it, too, which was, was good. You know, she, How old is she? She is six. See, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. And, but, Man, you got your nice little built-in focus group. This is very, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is very good. No, and they take after my wife, Pam, who's a, who's a genius. And I don't mean just like I'm talking smack here. She's, you know... She's got like a 500 IQ. Uh, so the kids have inherited that and been reading since birth. So, uh, and I'm only kidding by a few years. So it's been, <laughs> it's been good that I can actually hand the book to like a, a six-year-old and say, what do you think, kiddo? And she says now she reads it herself. Like, this is funny. Like, she has her favorite parts. And, you know, um, there was nothing better. I was actually writing the, I, to give you a sense of schedule, I'm, I'm drawing the third book right now. Uh, wow. Yeah, and I wrote the last one. Last summer, we, we, we took a big old ridiculous trip and spent uh, uh, two months, uh, two and a half months, actually, in New Zealand. Um, and so it was winter there. So in the winter in New Zealand, I, I, I wrote the book and then I gave it to the kids uh, when I was done. And there was nothing more thrilling than, I mean, it was, you know, it's the four of us in New Zealand. Yeah, it's not like we've got a ton of friends or they've got like buddies to hang out with. So it's just, it's kind of us. But 
Hilo became a part of it because they're they made you know they they latched on to what they thought was was the catchphrases of the second book, and they're acting out scenes. And uh, yeah, and I'm just basically you know walking around and you know trying to stop myself from weeping because my children are you know they're treating it like a movie they just saw and came back and they're acting out scenes and like no I get to be Hilo now no no you get to be DJ like, yeah and it's just I was dying so it's the best if the wow, book tanks and nobody reads it. I got this. So, I'll, all right, I understood. It's, it's not everything, but you know, <laughs> but I will take the fact that that my two biggest fans are 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 children. So that was pretty awesome. Well, I imagine that Random House is going to put you on a on a book tour for this, but I wonder too because the good news is so many comic stores of late are catering to this kid audience and finally figure it out. Oh no, it's good to have kids books as well because while the parents are buying the X-Men and Batman and all that stuff, uh, bring the kid in and you know, A, it's a good excuse to get out of the house and, and all <laughs> buy books for the kid as well. But, um, you know, to have product there and I mean, you, you know, as well, I mean, cause you're, you're friends with art and Franco and yeah. you know, they got, they got their stores in Chicago and New York and stuff. So if you got a, a beyond beyond uh, I'm sure traditional bookstores. Have you got a, a, a direct market kind of plan in terms of uh, stores you're going to hit? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go all over. I mean, it's it's going to start with uh, just like four or five cities as we kind of just do the regular book launch. But along the way, um, quickly trying to pepper in a bunch of comic book stores, and also it's what I will, because of well a couple of things because of the nature of children's books and this is this is new to me. Um, Children's books are sort of different from, and I mean this in how they launch and how the books come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they kind of a slightly different approach than how we'll call them like just regular books, meaning novels for adults or even YA books, or even how movies come out or how comics come out. It's not the it's not the most important thing that it comes out of the gate as a blockbuster. There's a lot of literal word of mouth there's where people will buy the books and tell their friends or kids will buy the books and tell their friends um so a lot of it's like a bit of a slow burn so although the book comes out in september and i will be doing a tour and we'll be doing uh you know as you know lots of media and all that um there's stuff being planned in october and november and things being planned as far as december and by the time we you know finish scratching our butts about that about this book Book two is coming out in May 2016. So, Fantastic. Yeah, and then the third one will be coming out after that, and it's it's something that'll just that will keep moving with a new book every six to nine months. Um, which, <laughs> yeah, my editor had asked me long ago, like, can you maintain the schedule? It's like if I'm just doing the book, yeah. I've never done just one thing, <laughs> so that's, yeah, that, that, that this will be new to me and. Uh, and I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy just, you know, <laughs> doing the one thing. It's usually been writing the three monthlies, you know, maybe developing some live action TV that manages not to go anywhere while doodling around with something else. This is, you know, so what are you doing today? I'm I'm going to go draw the Hilo book some more. <laughs> and that's 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 the gig for the next several years because, uh, you know, we're, we're planning on six of them. So, uh, OK. So it's it's a good time. But to answer your question in the first place, yeah, we're going to be hitting comic stores. And I'm thrilled that uh, comic stores uh, pretty recently, I guess. But what would you say, man? Like the last five years or so? Sounds about yeah, right. They've, they've sort of, yeah, they've, yeah, they've really sort of uh, – I mean I'm, I'm – it's I, I find it heartening that uh, for once in my life I feel like, oh, my timing's right. 
I, mean, I, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I didn't think about it. I really it wasn't it wasn't plotted out in this way. It's just ha- it just happened to be when I had children and this interests me. You know that I was doing it in this way. Like you know what I'm gonna do some I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a book for kids um, around a time that you know what kids are looking for more comics because it was it was different from when we were kids. Uh, Absolutely. And there's no way not to knock mainstream superhero comics in this way. And I don't I don't think it's a big knock. I just think I'm just calling it out for what it is. I mean, for the last 20 years, they've been writing articles, you know, the ones that make us throw up, you know, pow, zap, comics aren't for kids anymore. And, you know, there's a shot of Mouse and Dark Knight and and Sandman. And then they talk about whatever, you know, comic series are talking about now, which is also very, very popular, whatever it might be, how comics aren't for kids anymore. Um, But, uh, you know, for, for, I think somewhere along the way, uh, you know, Burn and Claremont X-Men could be read by kids. <laughs> and we were kids. You know, we were kids and teenagers yes. when those came out. Um, but I, I, I mean, I know where the disconnect came. At some point, we just got a little more sophisticated. We got a little more realistic. We wanted to tell bigger stories, more depth. These characters, I mean, the stories that we grew up reading, which were a little more down the middle, not softballs per se, but just um, lacking, lacking an edge. We want. Yes. We just wanted those characters to evolve, and right. Um, with that, they just matured. Um, a bad analogy is kind of like the Harry Potter series, and having kids. Um, you know, I've reread them now out loud <laughs> to to my children, beginning with like book one, and we. My my son and I just finished reading out loud. Actually, he was reading them by himself by the end, uh, all the way up to Deathly Hallows, and those books mature. The first book is kind of it, it is it is more of like an all ages kind you know sweet's the wrong word but um, it's a, it's it's a it's a less mature title. There's no romance. It's not particularly violent. It's not particularly scary. But with each book, as Harry gets older, so does the the, the reader needs to get older with him. Um, and I think comic books, superhero comics, kind of went along that way. We've sort of matured into. Something that's just for teenagers and grown-ups, but it doesn't mean that kids don't like reading cartoons and superhero stories. I think that there's a need still there. Just like, I mean, you know, kids don't read newspapers anymore. I mean, we used to read the funny pages every day. <laughs> I mean, do you, I mean, yeah. I mean, every single day, delivered to our house like magic were these things called newspapers. Which, for if any children have to be listening, those are iPads made of paper which had current events in them. And uh, if you were really lucky, you had uh, the funny pages. Well, they all had the funny pages in there. If you were really lucky, you had three pages of it instead of just one or two. And you'd read it every day, even the bad ones. I won't mention which were the bad ones. But but there were some really, really bad comic strips and some really terrific ones. Uh, And every day you'd get a little dose of a cartoon on paper, which kids don't get anymore. They just don't. And uh, I think it was something else that was – sort of unspoken when I started doing the book. And later I realized that, you know what, because I'm doing this kind of cartoony style, this comic strippy style, I really feel like I'm, I'm, I hope I'm tapping into, you know, something on a genetic level the kids aren't getting right now that, you know, I think, I think kids like to hold books in their hands and read them and have like a, a good old fashioned cartoon book. And, uh, there, there's a bunch out there. There are, but, um, Probably not as much as when we were kids. And when we were kids, they were everywhere. 
you know, you could you could yes, you know, read a good old you know, could read a superhero comic, a Superman comic, you know, and then turn around and read Garfield and not feel like you're kind of skipping a step. Absolutely, or even Beetle Bailey and Peanuts. I mean, yeah. you know, not just Garfield, but yeah, and Calvin and Hobbes and all that stuff, man. Uh, you're right. The humor comics were coming out in book form as much as they were in the newspaper. Yeah, and, and they stuff. were they were all ages. You know, yes, even, you absolutely, know, they were. You know, from BC to like Mama Mel Lazarus comic. You yes. know, you know, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, any of these. I like Mama. Yeah, I like Mama too. <laughs> You know, absolutely. Man. I met Mel. No, I met Mel Lazarus a couple of times. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, he was just the best. He was. He was. He was just really this terrific, funny, droll, old school uh, cartoonist. But um, what I liked, Mel was like really smooth. <laughs> like a lot of a lot of cartoonists, you don't like. You meet these guys, and like this guy is like somewhat erudite. Mel Lazarus, who's like he was a he was a tall dude, well dressed. And just really cool. He just struck me as really incredibly cool. <laughs> so I met him a couple of times, and he was all right. And he, cra- well, he cracked me up because uh, halfway through our conversation, he said, Jared, you mind me asking, you Jewish? And he said, yeah, I am. He said, me, me too. <laughs> and there's a long pause. Like, we need more Jews car- as cartoonists. <laughs> it, it used to be you couldn't throw a dead cat without hitting one of us. Now... It kind of thinned out the herd. He, he slaps a hand on my shoulder and says, it's good to have you here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Jesus, was, that's hilarious. He's the best. <laughs> that's really cool. No, and you know, um, God, we get a taste of that. Um, I was just talking to Dean Haspiel last night. We were talking about that Will Eisner uh, documentary that uh, John Cook put out, yeah. and he had some shop talk. Uh, conversations and it was adventure strip stuff, but it was you know him and Milt Kniff. Yeah. And you know, no, the comic strip guys they fascinate me both the humor strips and the adventure strips uh, because, as you say, it was an all ages audience. There was very much an adult audience. I mean, and you know, from a guy like Mel Lazarus or or Milton Kniff to a very controversial guy like Al Cap. Yeah. I mean, these, I mean, Al, they, Al, Al Cap. Al Cap is the most one of the most fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I, as I'm saying the words out loud, like I don't know what this means to anybody, but he's one of the most fascinating guys in cartoons. <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, yeah. Well, and if you don't, I mean, like who? I mean, that's the great thing. And, and as you say, with with Mel being erudite, I mean, these cartoonists were really opinion leaders. Yeah. And they were like, I mean, God, they, I love that scene when uh, John Lennon and Yoko are having the bed in, <laughs> and of all people that go up and start berating them, Al Cap. Yeah, and it's on. It's it's in that documentary, The People versus John Lennon. You will see the creator of Little Abner yelling at John Lennon, and I don't understand what the hell you're doing. Yeah, and Lennon, who's a peacenik, is is, and then I mean, all all if you if you watch it again, all Al Cap wants is for John Lennon to punch him. Yes, he, he just and he'd like nothing better. He just that's I think that's his goal there, because the last thing he says, he, he he says something horribly insulting about Yoko Ono and and, and Lennon, who's no cupcake, <laughs> right. is there at the bed and it's all about peace and love. And he just, you know, he just wants to knock this old man right on his ass. Uh, and, he, and he had it coming. And the, the crazy thing is that I mean, for people who don't know any of this or even care, I can go on. No, no, this, is, this is our audience, man. Um, Trust me, this is a word balloon uh, conversation. Go Al on. Cap was, you know, was extremely liberal in the fifties. You know, that's yes. where he started, and I yes. he was so like just he was so anti-establishment. Um, so in the fifties, when everyone was uptight about everything, um, 
Al Capps out there trying to push the envelope the other way. And when I think when the hippie movement kicked in and that's where it became the mainstream, his pendulum swung back the other way and he wanted to be a pain in the ass conservative. I think he just wanted to be contrary. And make no mistake, um, he was a brilliant cartoonist. He drew so well. He drew so well. Little Abner's a, is a brilliant strip, and he was and he was such a such an asshole. It was unreal. Yes. <laughs> it was just it was just and and his downfall, which we won't even get into here, which was a which was a sex scandal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis Kitchen told me these stories like 15 years ago, um, and uh, yeah, one of the true truly most colorful characters in in comics. But to get back to your point, yeah, back in the day, these were the guys with who had an audience of millions of people. I mean, literally, millions, that's right. millions of people would read what they would do every day. And that's not a number that I'm just pulling out of the air. This, they were in all the newspapers. I mean, all of them. You know, they were, literally all of them. Yeah. Yes. Not only major cities, but the, far, but the towns and the, 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 the counties and everything. Yeah, if there was a page of papers, these guys were in the syndications. The, the, the syndicates that made sure right. that their, pay, their their strips were read it, by every newspaper reader. Yeah, no, and they were they were a sensation. I mean, I'll, yeah. again, Lil Abner is a great example. I mean, he, he created this character called the Shmoo, which yes. I think some of us might know as a Saturday morning cartoon that was was <laughs> the thing, and it was like the thing Shmoo Hour, something horrible like yeah, that. Yeah, Fred. I remember when it was bad Fred and Barney Flintstone com, uh, cartoons. Yeah. Later versions of the Flintstone that don't hold up to like the classic ones, but yeah, it was Fred and Barney meet the show. Meet the That's show. What there it is. Yep. Yeah, before that, so yeah, so like like twenty, twenty, thirty years before that, during the nineteen fifties, the Shmoo was was like the pet rock. It was a sensation. Uh, they they had this like inflatable, you know, I think kind of like kind of punching bag sort of thing. My my uncle and my dad told me about it. They were dying to get it. So there were schmoo stuffed animals in this punching bag sort of thing, and they sold millions of them. Well, well, that's what I mean. I wanted to say is the you know yeah that those kinds of comic strips, and and certainly a lot of the word balloon audience is old enough to remember how you know what it was like. The fact that it's dying off, and and uh, in the newspapers, and instead we're getting stuff online, or we're getting what you're doing and what Jeff is doing, Jeff Smith, yeah. and uh, Jeff Brown, all the Jeffs, all the Jeffs. <laughs> Jeffs are doing this, and also no, uh, Brad. I, I love what Brad Meltzer and uh, and uh, Chris uh, Iliopoulos yeah. too. You know, I mean, it's it's very interesting to see you guys uh, all do this, and and especially uh, guys like yourself and and Brad and Chris that come from that uh, more you know adult comic book scene. Again, not not forgetting your frumpy years as well, right. but uh, that that yeah, that you're able to kind of translate the the stuff that we you know that we got. In the adventure comics and stuff, put them in these kids' comics, and, but not, but not be, you know, uh, a not forget the adult audience and also uh, not freak out the the kid audience right. as well, and just give us honest action, honest humor, and and a very natural, fun story. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's it's, it's really thrilling that, um, I mean I was I was amazed and delighted that when I when you know I was done with it, meaning the book when I finished the book. And it's like, okay, it's, it's a thing. It happened. You know, <laughs> I did, I, I did it. So it's this, you know, action adventure story that kind of looks like a, you know, with comic strip art and it's, you know, it's a, and I think it holds up. And then, yep. uh, you know, delightfully, amazingly, my, my agent sent it out to publishers and we had a lot of interest and, you know, wound up being a, you know, a three book deal with Random House, which um, eventually, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll do three more books after that. Um, 
I'm I'm very very pleased that I I guess that the pendulum has begun to swing back the other way. Um and I guess it's just it's uh it's just how these things happen. I think if you look at it, a whole generation reading comics as kids and grow grows up and then they become the cartoonists and you know here we are, we're grown ups with our big boy pants and we want to tell these, you know, you know, bigger stories. I mean, I as a, when I did comic strips, I wanted to do Bloom County. Um, that's the, the strip I wanted to rip off. And cool. I wound up being closer to the middle, which was I'm doing a family strip with a, you know, with a disgusting clown, um, you know, which became <laughs> which was Frumpy the Clown. But again, kind of coming towards all ages. But I wanted it to be gritty and political but when it came back, you know, when Surf came down to it, it was something I actually talked with Christy Eliopoulos a lot about. We're huge fans of both Calvin and Hobbes and the Peanuts. Um, sure. Yes, and I know, yeah, Chris and I have talked Peanuts. Go on, please. Yeah, no, and they're kind of opposite sides of the same coin. Um, mm-hmm. In this case, I, it's it's kind of like taking taking the art and the feel and the humor of a Calvin and Hobbes or a Peanuts and like, let's throw them in an adventure story and see what happens. Uh, that's that's what I did here, and thus far, book's not out yet, <laughs> but thus far, people who've read it uh, seem to like it and get it. So I'm glad because I'm hoping to do this for a long time. Um, my 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 initial idea with this, which my my editor, well, she she didn't talk me out of it so much. She she kind of did what an editor is supposed to do, which is edit. I want to do like 20 of these. I want to do like 20 high low books. And just keep going and going and going. And it, it would be like a TV show. Like every book would be kind of a monster of the week. And, you know, there's a central mystery to uh, to the story, you know. And I'm, I'm not giving much away by saying that, you know, we don't know where Hilo is from and what he's doing here. And the first book doesn't give up the store at all. Um, in the original first draft, which is pretty close to this one, but... I gave like nothing. I gave the smallest, most subtle hint about what was to come. And it was my editor who pushed me and said, you know, I kind of want to see more here. It's like, well, you know, if, if, I, if I start giving away the mystery, then we're kind of burning a lot of wood. We've got to move the story forward. And that's when she said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you to do. I think every book should be one big step forward towards the end. It's like, wow. oh, I said, well, I was thinking about doing 20 of these, but that changes that. She goes, no, I don't think you should do 20 of these. I think you should... I think you should sit down and figure out what gets you to the end of the story. And that was, that was the big question. Like, do you have an end to this? I said, I do. I know, I know exactly how it ends. She said, all right, we'll figure it out. And that's when I sat down and the number I basically came up with, like chapter by chapter, kind of break by break, as far as chapter meaning like book by book, I guess. Um, it's like, yeah, it's, it's six books. It takes me six books to get there. And okay. it was kind of learning and un- – well, it was about unlearning – Take that back. It was about looking at everything I learned with superhero comics, which is, you know, we'll stick with Batman. When you write Batman, you can only take Batman from kind of like A to B. You got a little piece, a small piece of real estate you can actually get into with Batman because he's always going to be 32 years old. <laughs> you know, he's mm-hmm. he's not going to die. This character's not going to do this or that. He's not going to retire at the end. It's it's about finding as you know as many stories you can within this sort of this small scope of how little you can do with the character. That's kind of the magic trick of mainstream superhero comics. With this, it's my characters, and I can do whatever I want with them, and I have an ending coming. So it was really about no, you know what? 
I don't have to stretch this out to 20 stories. This isn't this isn't an, you know, an arc that's going to take two two years that's coming out monthly. This is a, this is a book series. So let me let me not treat it like a TV series. Let me not treat it like a, a comic book series. Let me let me treat it for like what it is. These are books. So one by one, you know, more and more each each book advances the story in a big way. Each book kind of changes up in a big way while I'm hoping maintains the same level of humor and action um, and amping up the drama each time because we learn a little bit more about our characters and things get a little harder here and there without it becoming I, so involved, I think, that, that it would become too complicated for anybody, meaning kids or adults. Uh, so, yeah. So that's what I'm pretty excited about is that with each book, I, I get to put it down like, all right, now I really get to shake some stuff up in the next one. It'll be great. Well, and I and I want to uh, mention uh, Gina because we haven't talked about her character because we kind of explained DJ's being in this overachieving family. Right. Hilo is figuring out who he is and what his purpose is, and Gina has a great story too. And they're all—I mean, the, the great thing is really uh, if you have a kid and some family situations very relatable. If not in your own family, then I'm sure you know the kid knows someone that might be going through this. There's always new kids at school, right. and Hilo and, uh, represents that. Gina does to a degree as well, but even the more interesting wrinkle is the, the kid that moves away and comes back right. because, you know, just uh, the change in environment has changed her relationship with DJ. And at first, you know, this one thing he could count on may not, you know, at least at first doesn't feel like it may not be there in this first book. So that's, that's great. I mean, that's good dramatic tension there, man. And I, and I think, I mean, that's the great thing is I, I, when I always give it up to Jerry Conway and uh, tell him that a lot of his Spider-Man really hit me as this 10-year-old kid. Right. And because I just really bought the relationships and everything. And when big things happened, it blew your mind. And and that's why I, you know, no, I think these are very relatable situations that, you know, probably do come up in a kid's life and give them an opportunity to kind of go, hey, wait, that's just like that kid at school or our cousin or whatever or even in our own family. That practically makes me weepy to hear you say it. I <laughs> It's sort of like, yeah, you totally got that. Oh, okay, I did my job really well. That's that's absolute. That is absolutely spot on. Because yeah, because at the heart at the heart of it, um, this is about sort of how how friendships form and evolve. You know, Hilo Hilo is this new friendship for DJ, and Gina is this old friendship which has changed. You know, she when they were seven years old, they were thick as thieves and liked the same stuff. And, you know, when they were like, you know, two halves of a whole and everything, it was all great. Now she moves away and comes back and she's still the same, but her interests have changed. And she's like, you know, she's, she, you know, she still really digs DJ. And I think she looks, I mean, I don't think you think for a second that she doesn't care about him and they're not, you know, pretty much right back where they started, uh, where they left off rather. They're friends again. They're right there. But she's grown. She's got other interests and she's, you know, she's into this, she's playing soccer, she's doing, you know, and DJ's DJ. He's not very good at anything. And, and Gina, she continued to bloom. She's good at lots of stuff. She's really smart. She likes science. She also likes comic books, which was just a little nod. <laughs> Great moment. A little nod to my people. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a spoiler moment for everyone there. At one point, she says, she makes a reference to a, a comic book and DJ says, you still read comics? And she smiles and goes, yeah. <laughs> and, yes. And that's just, that's one for us, us, us geeks out there, guys. Amen. Absolutely, man. That was fantastic. Yep. Great moment. Too funny, man. No, it's, uh, honestly, uh, the clarity of the story is, is great. And I think, again, 
it will uh, it will reassure adults that no, this is good. We can me and me and the kid can share this, and it'll be fun. Uh, it's God. I I'm thinking of uh, Scotty Young just had his second kid. Yeah. At, uh, you know, at Baxter, his first son is five years old. No, this is this is the kind of thing that Scotty could get into. Scotty yeah. actually, uh, he just uh, well, actually posted it on Facebook. It was that's how I saw it. Um, I was going back like he was. Uh, his kiddo was going off to uh, uh, kindergarten for the first time, uh, yep. like a, like two days after they had their uh, second kid. Um, and I advised him, like, uh, you know, gave him a hearty mazel tov and advised him next time to try and spread out the life-changing experiences a little more. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tougher that way. Um, this is true. It is true. Well, he thanked me for that. And then he, he actually took a picture of uh, – uh, I sent him a copy of Hilo. So he took a picture of uh, the Hilo book next to his baby, which I had to tell him, like, like – Scotty, I'm getting choked up. This is the first picture of Hilo with a baby. I don't know why I'm crying, but it's just getting to me, man. So no, it's exciting, Judd. Honestly, you're onto something here, and I, I'm really happy for you because this is uh, this is cool. And I and and honestly, I'll even I'll I'll totally be you know truthful and say, well, it looks like uh, one of my questions was answered in terms of a, this is going to keep you busy, and b. Um, you're, it doesn't sound like you're in any rush to to come back to any uh, you know superhero stuff uh, like uh, or you know stuff for an adult audience in the in the near future. Yeah, and it's it's not um, it's it's I mean it's sort of apropos of nothing. I I I I kind of started gravitating towards this, and um, once I was a, a full time cartoonist again. When I was just you know when I was doing it, like I'm doing the book. I, I had I didn't even have a publisher yet. I was still. Um, to get the brass tacks, I was still writing Catwoman and uh, doing Batwing uh, when I was working on Hilo. And uh, the last time we talked, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. This is right in the early days of the new Fifty Two. I'll I'll remind people in terms of contextually around what you were talking about. Had some contra- you had some controversial moments with both series. Yep, yep, yeah. On the flip side of it, I, I had mentioned it to you. Yeah, it was like three years ago. And I just thought of that like two days ago when we set up the interviews. Like, I think I talked to John about this right when I was sort of like kind of in the throes of it because you would ask me like, so you going to do any cartoonies? Like, matter of fact, I am trying to, yeah, kind of. So I was sort of feeling my way through it. Um, but once I'd finished or nearly finished the draft, of my, my first draft of Hilo, um, I mean, like fully penciled and like ready to go somewhere with it. Um, but I didn't have a publisher or anything. I was I was nearly done. Um, I was just, uh, I knew that like, okay, regardless is this is going to get printed and published somehow. I'll do a Kickstarter. I'll go independent, something. Um, and with that, it's like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm done over here for now. I, I, I'd finished, I'd finished my run on Catwoman and I just finished an arc on Batwing. So it seemed like, yeah, let me go over here for a while. And it was, you know, again, it was just a bygones moment. Like guys, I'm going to, I'm working on this, uh, you know, kind of this creator own thing where I'm writing and drawing again. and I'm a cartoonist and, you know, everyone from my editors to Dan to Dio, I was like, oh, OK, OK. Like, how long have you been working on that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I really don't. I said, but I'm a, I'm a, I, I said, I really feel like I need to do this now. And unlike I'm not I won't name names because everyone knows any of the names. I did not leave in a huff. <laughs> there was no bad blood at all. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna go write and draw again. It's like, OK, cool. Go do that. So cool. it, you know, the, the, the door is more than open. I mean, I went and talked to everybody at San Diego and that was when I'm just hanging out. They're like, so you coming back? I'm like, no, I'm doing this for like forever, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I've got like six books to do. And, you know, but while that's going on, you know, 
if a story occurs to me, I know I can pick up the phone and say, hey, I got a Superman idea that, uh, you know, I got six issues I could write. You know, I'm sure I could hop into it again. So the door is always open. But that okay. said, a huge chunk of my heart was missing for a long time because I wasn't uh, I just wasn't drawing. I wasn't I wasn't. And I did. I didn't realize how important it was to me. Um, until I, it maybe honestly, like years went by when I wasn't, uh, you know, being a cartoonist in a real way, like actually making something. Um, you know, my, my, my wife joked when I started doing it, I was just so much happier. It was just in everything, <laughs> you know, it really, it, it really, um, is something, well, with the joke she made, she goes, no, it's like you without like, with 60% less misplaced anger. You're, <laughs> you're just a happier dude and you, you should keep doing this obviously. Um, so that's, if anything, that would probably keep me away from doing just about anything else, including there's like stories that just by happenstance, I always kept in my back pocket and I said, yeah, someday I want to write and draw that one myself. Um, I could work with someone on that and be faster, but I kind of want to write and draw that one myself. So Hilo is for the very you know foreseeable future, and um, and then a couple other stories and probably another series after that. I just want to you know unless you know I'll talk to you in a month and this all craps out, then you know <laughs> watch me like you know it's like yeah, so I'm doing some filling issues for. Uh, you know, this this crappy title, which is nearly canceled. I'm not going to mention names, but yeah, you know. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, honestly, Judd, what I'm hoping, and I always tell you this when we talk, I, you're a great superhero writer. This is an example of uh, your great cartooning and, and all-ages work. Um, there is a hope that I always still have because, I, you know, I love things like Caper that someday you might come back and do some creator-owned adult comics because – uh, I, I think you're certainly capable of it, and um, you know, yeah, I just I, I do think that your audience is going to follow you on this, and I think you know that's good. But I, yeah, I just you know, again, I say that for purely selfish reasons because I've always enjoyed your your uh, you know, like I said, Caper is a perfect example of that. That's the first one that comes to mind. Well, I won't lie to you. I think if anything would get me back to uh, working with another artist and uh, you know. Uh, doing a monthly floppy or a graphic novel or whatnot would be something that would be purely adult oriented because it would, it would, it's a whole different part of my brain, which isn't being used. Yep. And I know at some point there'll be something violent and, and full of curse words. <laughs> that, yeah. That just, just has to come out. Um, you know, whatever. I'll be I'll, I'll be rewatching Jaws and think like, man, I want to do something like horrible. I want to like I want to really mess some stuff up. Um, <laughs> and you know, and and yeah, and that you know, it'll probably happen almost exactly in that way. I All think right. that's that is probably a greater possibility than uh, seeing me come back and you know do a Captain Marvel limited series or something. Um, sure, it, no. it would be crime. It would be some you know something fun and nasty. Uh, because I won't lie to you, one of my favorite things I have done, maybe ever, like I love, I do, I love Caper so much. That was a pleasure to do. Um, and uh, right now we're actually talking to some people about uh, finally getting that put into trade. Uh, hey, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I would really like to see that in trade. I was very, I was you know, really working with three fantastic artists and got to tell three really great stories. 
you know, the way I like to do them. They're, you know, there's are crime stories or great mysteries. I really, I really dug that. No question. So like, and you know, you don't have to go into full detail if you can't, but like have the rights reverted back to you that yeah. you could take it anywhere. And do? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Man. Well, and I know, I mean, it, it's, as have as have a lot of other stories that happened around the same time, it seems. So that's that's really great to hear, and I hope uh, I hope we get an announcement soon that that's going to happen. That'd be great. Yeah, that's excellent. Me too. So yeah, man. Well, that's the thing because I, I think Caper was ahead of its time. I mean, you see what Brubaker and uh, Rucka and guys like that, all your peers, you know, and what they're what they're doing and stuff. And it's funny. I wonder, you know, how much they see what you're doing. And they're like, oh man, it'd be great to do something all ages. I mean, certainly in the case of Greg, uh, his his uh, well, his kids are getting a little bit older now. Yeah, now think. now they can read the violent stuff. They're that's true. <laughs> that's true. They're big. They're, they're teenagers by now. So you know. He's, oh my God! They kind of are. Yeah. I know Dash or uh, Elliot certainly is. I don't, Dash might still be a. She might still be a tweener. Yeah, she's she's still a like, tweener. She's like she's yeah, and she'll probably she'll probably be too cool for school. I'm like like, <laughs> Dad, don't do this cute stuff. Like you know, you know, bring on the bring on the tougher stuff. Exactly. Give me some with some meat, Dad. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and Mom. <laughs> Very funny, man. Well, tell me about um, the Hulu animated series because I'm really interested in that. It's, I, I, you know, I just talked to Bendis recently. Haven't released it yet, but we were talking about uh, not only streaming TV but also like. You know, I mean, you know, right there, uh, there's your uh, Yankees uh, Mets in uh, terms of Netflix and Hulu. Right. Yeah. So, I- those are the. Top ones and, and being at Hulu, I mean, Netflix is the one that gets a lot of the juice, and a lot of great shows are being made by Hulu as well. So, yeah, tell me about the experience. Well, I kind of delightfully fell ass backwards into um, one uh, I, an actual like job. <laughs> Usually, it's you know, I've I've always been a you know um, like a journeyman cartoonist, you know, writer. It's always work for hire, that sort of thing. With this. It was really, you know, um, fell, you know, fell into like kind of winning the lottery as far as like having a great experience. I was developing Barry Ween for Hulu, um, and uh, just to cut to the end of the page, all Barry Ween fans, there will be more Barry Ween sometime in the not too distant future. Now that I'm a full time cartoonist again, um, excellent, it's very just, good. I. One of the big reasons I didn't do Barry Ween is because I wasn't cartooning all the time. I literally had books and crap all over my drawing board. Now my drawing board is actually, you know, my drafting table is actually used for drafting now. So the chances of doing Barry Ween again and all, all my atrophied cartooning muscles are now back in shape. So, yeah, believe me. And, and I've been thinking a lot about Barry Ween because when you do – You're not kidding. No, I'm You're not. You're not kidding about that atrophy because I remember you telling me this, that you kind of were like, I got to get my chops back, man. Oh, no. That was – right. I was, doing, I was trying to get my game back together when I was talking to you. When I was in the middle of – or at the beginning of writing Hilo and getting it together. And it's like, you know, it's, I, I don't have it. Now, now I'm doing it. Now it's like, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yes, more Barry Ween in the not-too-distant future. I know I've been saying that for a long time, but now, I, now I'm not actually lying to you. Um, <laughs> so Barry Ween at Hulu. So we were developing it for Hulu and we're getting actually darn close, like freakishly close to it being a series. And, um, then things just didn't work out the way things just didn't work out. Everything from budgets to, uh, you know, it wasn't actually a question of content. It was, it was sort of a budgetary thing. And okay. while it was going on, um, Seth Myers, who at the time was, uh, the, uh, was of, of Weekend Update and the head writer of uh, Saturday Night Live. And um, 
Mike Shoemaker, who is his best friend and at the time uh, writer for Saturday Night Live for – I think Shoe was on there for like 17 years. So Mike Shoemaker was um, a very, very big shot at SNL. So Seth Myers and Mike Shoemaker are huge comic book fans. Yes, did. Giant comic book fans. And for many years, they were trying to get this show idea off the ground uh, called The Awesomes. And I think they, they almost had it up with MTV for a little while. And it was a comedy about, I mean, it's out now, as people know, it's a comedy about a superhero team. And uh, not making fun of the genre, but actually just a comedy that is about superheroes. It's, it, it was different. So anyway, they were, um, they were developing it. And uh, a development executive at Hulu, who I was working with, named, uh, well, I don't know if I should name names. But anyway, <laughs> she suggested to them, like, listen, you guys are great. This is really, really funny. You know what could help? I've got Judd Winnick over here. Who's, we're developing a show, but the show, it, it looks like the show's not going to go, but I think he can help with story. Because Mike and Seth were incredibly funny, had great ideas, but, uh, you know, stories were kind of hard to cut. Because their 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 big muscles are in comedy and sketch comedy, sure. and I think they I me mean, I know now they wanted to tell kind of superhero stories. They wanted to tell, make like a season long arc. They wanted to like tell a big one like that, which was right up my alley because I had ten thousand hours of doing superhero comics, <laughs> on top of like writing comedy. So they sent them Barry Ween. And they they already knew me from the superhero comics. They didn't know I could be funny, so they sent them Barry Ween. It's like oh, he can be funny. And then we just got on the phone and started talking about stuff, and they were amazing. They are incre- forget how funny they are, which they are. They're just so naturally funny. It's just you know they're not even trying. They're just really smart, funny guys, but also incredibly humble. And we're just just hitting me up for like like what, what do you think we should do? <laughs> it's like this cool. this, and I said, well, okay, let's think about what you guys want to do with the characters. And we started developing the show. And it was about coming up with a you know, a big kind of season long arc because uh, the characters are already well defined. You know, they had they and, I mean, I didn't do anything with that. They came to me with these fully realized. There's no analogy I can think of, except like someone like had the first issue of a comic laid out. Like here are the characters. They're fully developed this is who they are. This is where they come from. Now we just kind of want to think of some stuff they do. I mean, they even had they even had a bad guy and, you know, and how they wanted him to p- play out. So okay. um, it was just about sitting down and figuring out. A fun old season-long arc, you know, that we would pepper throughout the season, and um, you know, action scenes, which Seth hilariously would joke about. It's like, yeah, we would pretty much just write it out, like, and then they fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, I actually don't know how to write a fight scene. It's like I said, I know how to write fight scenes. Like, so that, like, that was things I could do, you know. And what would be interesting is I'd write a, fi- I'd write a fight scene, and then Seth and Mike would figure out how to make it funny which was really interesting. It's like, oh, there's jokes to be had in here. I didn't think about that. That's cool. So um, the first season, it was, uh, it, was pretty much, it was pretty much the three of us, um, along with you know, the, the uh, great animators we had at Bento Box. Um, and uh, that was a blast and so much work, but great work and great fun to have. And I learned a lot. From them, I, I mean, I had, I had, you know, created and produced my own animated series for Cartoon Network, um, but this was just kind of a different beast. And also, um, again, it's it's about satisfying someone else's vision, and, and luckily it was one that 
I, I really was excited about. In the same way, kind of how superhero comics work. It's like, hey, you know, you, get, you got the X-Men here and you're going to write the X-Men. It's, you're only going to take the X-Men in so many different directions. Well, again, it's like, you know, here are the awesomes, and these are these established characters that these guys have come up with, and now it's about servicing the characters that these guys have made. Um, and, uh, and it was great. It was great. I mean, it still is great. So um, I was on there for season one uh, as a writer-producer, on there for season two as a writer-producer. In season three, <laughs> I was, I was full-on working on Hilo, and... Uh, I finally had to pick my head up and tell and tell Seth and Mike, I, I, I can't keep going. I can't do this. I, I, I don't think it's um, I can juggle both these things. I'm really, really, really just at odds because at this point, the, the, the machine that was Random House publishing Hilo was chugging along so fast that it's like, yeah, if I'm going to finish this second book and get cracking on the third to maintain the schedule they set up for me. Again, that's what it finally came down to. Like, I can't be doing more than one thing. I got to just do this. And uh they they were the best. They were the really just the greatest about it. Like, no, go do that. I mean, you know, as you can see, like Seth Meyers, you know, gave me a blurb for the book, you know. Indeed. And um, it was a great experience. If anyone has not seen The Awesomes, you should, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, uh, you know, click over on Hulu and go watch a couple episodes. They're there. Don't cost nothing. <laughs> exactly. Right there for you. Limited commercial interruption. And they're really funny. And I, I, I think anyone who actually really likes superheroes – uh, we'll like the awesomes. Um, yeah, I'm That's saying it's like, like, like it's new. It's like, yeah, this we're, the season three starts, uh, uh, I think the second week in September. So it's right around. Oh, the great. So, okay, cool. No. And you know, that's the, the great thing about streaming TV is it is still brand new yeah. and people are just discovering this stuff. I have friends that are still, you know, just getting started with house of house of cards and, you know, some of the other, the other shows. And again, that's why, um, you know, Hulu is putting out really good programming. And, you know, like I said, it just seems like, uh, Netflix is kind of sucking up all the air in terms of the attention. And, yeah. and I'm, I mean, I think Hulu what really have its, its show, I think what happened, I mean, what happened was that, uh, Netflix, Netflix got smart and, and, and now everyone else will be playing a bit of catch up. Uh, Netflix got smart. It's like, let's go all in and, uh, and spend and spend a crap ton of money on really really quality people and make an amazing show. Let's yep. let's let the creative people let's make sure they you know that it's going to be worth their time and energy. I mean less money than they're used to getting, <laughs> but enough that you know Kevin Spacey and David Fincher aren't feeling like they're losing money by working on this program, but also give them lots of latitude to create something amazing, which they did. And yes. I think it just it upped the game. Uh, and I think uh, now you're seeing it. Amazon and Hulu and Yahoo, uh, Sony, yeah, PlayStation's in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Yahoo Screen, absolutely. Google. I mean, it's crazy, and it's 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 great because it's this new golden age of television. It truly is. It is. And I think it'll continue. I, I think what's, what's oh, yeah. interesting about it is that um, people of uh, very very creative people who uh, have been through the system, even a little bit or a lot know that they can go to an Amazon or a Hulu or a Netflix and say, you know, um, for this amount of money, I can do this really quality TV show. You just, I just want you to leave me the hell alone. You know, Louis C.K. was part of this problem over with F FX because, you know, That's right. everyone wants the Louis C.K. deal. Like, just give me the money. Yes. I need just this amount. I'll make it for nothing. And, uh, and I think a lot of people have learned, like, yeah, that's 
it's it's great to say that out loud. But <laughs> once you get into it, you actually see that Louis is like threading a very particular needle and doing it very very well. The rest of you, like, yeah, you can't actually make the show for nothing and actually make it brilliant. It's just he he knows what he's doing with this particular beast. Um, uh, but it is, I think, we, we are seeing a, a new age of of TV. At some point, they're going to stop calling it TV. I don't know what the, what what they're going. to Screens. That's hilarious. No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Screens. Uh, yes. Yeah, streaming. Uh, you know, streaming uh, video. I know. Uh, I forget what the uh, initials yeah. are. But uh, talking to Jeff Loeb, he, he he of course spouted them off right away. Being the television executive, he is. Indeed. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's it's funny and it's interesting and uh, well, that's why. And while we're talking, and certainly you know you're of these worlds and everything. And I, well, first of all, I forgot about your uh, Cartoon Network series. What was your Cartoon Network series? It's called Life and Times of Juniper Lee. Yes, indeed, of course. Yeah, and uh, it, uh, I'm, I, some folks, you could probably still catch episodes on YouTube, illegally, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> it was actually on iTunes for a little while. I didn't even know about it until some people would tell me, like, no, it's on iTunes. I'm like, it is. And then, like, a couple months later, then it wasn't on iTunes. Um, ah, I think... Uh, it was a terrific show. It's kind of it was kind of like an animated Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but play, played even for more laughs. Um, and uh, it, it 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 is it was a great show, um, which I still have some 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 heartache about because it was just it was just bad timing. Um, Cartoon Network was kind of struggling to find a find a voice and a brand and a direction um, at the time like that the, the, the show came out. And uh, we always did okay. Like you know, it was a show that. Uh, had had decent ratings, not great, not bad. Like right there in the middle was okay, but not okay. enough that they want to stick with it. I mean, I think originally one. How many episodes? How many uh, episodes we did three seasons, and like it was like like forty episodes. Okay. Um, you know, it was, it was a sizable chunk. It was a lot of work. It was the show premiered um, two days after my son was born, um, and I thought about that when I was like telling telling uh, telling Scotty to. Uh, uh, spread out his life-changing experiences. So, like, I, you know, we had our first child, and uh, you know, I had my first television show come out the, the, you know, within three days of each other. It was a little bit too much. It sort of dwarfs the television experience. Like, I got a TV show. Yeah, but my wife just had her baby. So, <laughs> kind of puts things in maybe too much perspective. As, as Spinal Tap would say, a little too much perspective. Exactly. Really. Exactly. Like, too much perspective. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you? Go on, no, please. No, so, well, well, Juniper was, I think, uh, my first taste of doing, um, I was going to say a program, but I, I want to be even more general than that. Just doing work that was specifically for kids. And uh, I haven't watched it in, in, in a while. Um, at some point soon, my kids are going to watch it. They keep asking about it now and again. And again, I got a little heartache about it because I, I, I really enjoyed doing it. I was very proud of the work. We had amazing people. And um, I, I thought it was something that would go on for a lot longer. So I know when I watch it again, it's going to be like, yeah, this is, this is actually good. The truth is when – well, for me, when I look back on my stuff, I mostly want to look back and think, yeah, I can, I can do better now. <laughs> you, know, sure. you, want, you want to be able to grow. You don't want to look back on it and think, oh, man, I don't have that swing anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was my high point. I don't think I can make that anymore. Bullshit, man. No, absolutely. You're no, you're doing good. That's all right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what you want. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, Juniper. Uh, it's a great show. It was, and it, it 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 was a great show, and I had amazing people working on it. Um, and 
it did give me my first taste about trying to do work for kids. Uh, it also taught me that, uh, you know, how much I, uh, that I'm, I don't really like playing with others, so to speak. Um, and I don't mean to be working on the show as much as I mean, you know, having to deal with executives and networks and things like that and taking notes. Um, the notes I get are now are from my editor and she's amazing. <laughs> so I, 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 I just got her. I just got, I got, just got Chana Corey, my editor, uh, opposed to like, okay, so these six executives are going to look at it and then I'm going to get notes here and then some network notes and, you know, and it's a lot. And it's and it's it's weird trying to do art by committee. And I wasn't I wasn't used to it. And I might not be someone who's really cut out for that kind of thing. Um, I think I need a a smaller pool of of critical input. Um, But again, I was I was new to it. So who's to say this kind of works for me better? I like sort of, you know, sitting in my uh, my my studio here and, and going to my drafting table and, you know, I don't know, like living like a 10 year old. I make up stories and then I draw them. That's my life. And it seems absurd some days that like, wow, I live like a kid. You know, I make, I make up little stories and then I draw them. Like who, who gets to do that? Nobody. It's ridiculous. It's a gift. And, um, I hope I get to keep doing it. I hear you, man. And I, um, I hope you do as well. And it, I, like I said, I think you're at a really good start is, um, is there any type of uh, thought to you know making this some sort of animated series or or live action series for that matter? We'll see. I will say there's a lot of thought. <laughs> sure. My my children also have already asked like, so are, are you going to make a movie out of this? Like, well, let let Daddy's book come out first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and of course. Uh, then uh, and then we'll see. Um, I of course would. Um, of anything, I think I would I would lean towards. Uh, I'd love to see it as a feature film. Um, you know, of course, for, for me, like, yeah, doing it as an anime series, that's like falling off a log. I can totally see doing that. No problem. Then I get to do those 20 episodes. See? You know, Monster right. of the Week, kick that can down the road. I can do that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it would be exciting to see it because, uh, I mean, I, I do live with this every day now, more so than, than most stories I've ever done. Um so I, I know where the story's going, and I can see where the drama is. And yeah, part of me itches to, to, to say like, "Hey, it'd be great to see these guys really kind of come to life and be on the big screen." Um, and that, I mean, that part excites me like a kid. The idea that, sure, yeah, wow, you know, it would be great to see like like see these guys animated and move around. I mean, I, will, I won't, I won't lie to you. We just did a, we did an author video that's they're they're going to be putting up pretty soon, which is just me just talking about the book. So, so will it be at your where will it be? Will it be at your website or Random House's website or all of the above? It'll be you know, all right. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a one minute like, hi, I'm Judd Winnick. And, you know, and, you know, I want to tell you about my new book, Hilo. OK, and within that, uh, we just did a bit where I, I draw Hilo and I draw Gina and I draw DJ and uh, they had an animator come in and, you know, and just do a little spin on it. So when I'm when I'm done drawing it, the characters get animated and they move a little bit, just a little bit. But it looks good. And I got cool. I got absolutely just choked up like oh look they're moving look at that that's awesome it is it's, it's it is this real sort of kind of proud papa thing like they oh they come to life um, so uh, I'm I'm pleased that something so small makes me so happy uh, <laughs> and that it isn't like yeah I hope this you know I hope these become movies because you know what I really would like to be a billionaire 
That's important to me. I would like to leave this planet knowing that I made a billion dollars. And if we make seven of these movies, that'll probably happen. (laughs) That's great. Well, no, you know, going back to the Charles Schultz thing and also your experience that you've had so far in animation and stuff. I just wondered if that was even something that, you know, and believe me, I know how time consuming video is, let alone animation. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, does like does that thought ever cross your mind? And even from a personal standpoint, to get the software and, and try and animate, you know, your drawings. Oh, to do it myself? Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I think as we we talked about me before we started rolling that we're getting old and technology is like sort of a neat <laughs> thing. I mean, right right now I'm um, I, I I still the books are drawn. <laughs> they're drawn with pencil onto paper and then inked with real ink. I joke that yeah, it's this is our is this an, an artisanal book uh, done in the old <laughs> done in the old form. Um, You'll be at uh, Renaissance Fair yes, uh, doing demonstrations. Exactly. I mean, we, I mean, I do. We, so I, I I draw on paper. I, I ink with ink on paper. Uh, then I you know I scan them in. I do my lettering. And uh, Guy Major, who's uh, been a friend of mine for like 15 or 20, and pretty much colored everything I've ever done in color. So Guy Major is my colorist on this. And Guy, of course, colors on computer. Um, Great job. Yeah, no, he does. I I say all that to say this, that I know I probably could work a lot faster if I moved to a tablet. But I also know it'll take me like four months to get up to snuff. And there's a small, well, not so small chance that maybe I won't like it. (laughs) That drawing on a a tablet... uh, might not work for me. Um, so I'm not really that tech savvy. And with that, um, the idea of trying to teach myself how to animate these guys and do this stuff on my own um, is, is not in the cards so much as, as it would be um, getting a small group of people who knew what they were doing. Like I can do, I can do everything sitting in the chair and telling people what to do. I can, I can write it. I can storyboard. Uh, I can give notes. Hell, I can do voices. There's many, many, many things I can do. Uh, but when it comes to the, to the nuts and bolts of uh, of animating right now, I'm I'm crap at it. Um, my great hope is that my son, who is, shows great interest in in film and animation, um, and wants to work at Pixar. Uh, he's he's ten and he's already got his office picked out. Fantastic. Well, I've got a few buddies there, and we took him on a tour. And he got a wonderful behind-the-scenes store that no one ever gets to go uh, to go on. Uh, wow! So yeah, it kind of seals the deal. So he's he's planning on working there, um, <laughs> and nothing would make me prouder. And it's actually not so pie in the sky. I mean, the you know the offices are forty minutes from here in Emeryville, <laughs> and his dad's a cartoonist. So you know, as crazy as it might sound, it's like no, nah, I yeah, as I've told him, like nobody, you you really have a good shot. I won't lie to you. You say like, you know, hey, it's like if, within five years of a high school internship, there you go. Yeah, you know, it's like look, if your dad was a was an, an accountant and we lived in Wisconsin, I would say <laughs> this seems a little more far fetched. But you know, since you know, dad's got five friends where I work at Pixar and, you know, I am a cartoonist and it's like, you know, and you're 10 years old and you've already visited there. I, I, you got a good shot, buddy. Just just keep doing what you're doing and we'll see. <laughs> That's great. Or, you know, too, I'd love to see, uh, and I'm sure you guys are already thinking about this, um, I could see high-low uh, little plushies and things like that. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to get to that billion dollars at some point. So I'm with you. All right. Uh, yeah, and again, this is all, I, I believe, we, you know, the audience will forgive me. I've already read the book, but honestly, I hey, 
if I didn't give a shit, I wouldn't be talking about it. And they, and and I think the word balloon audience knows it. And I and I I'm sorry because I know this is an all ages book, so it, it, I might not be helping Random House by swearing as much as I have. Don't worry about it. If they, but I, but they, no, seriously. They got to know what they're getting into when they get on Ward Balloon. They're going to learn now. This is true. Yeah, he's just like, oh, my God, I'm never talking to this guy again. <laughs> Jesus. But, I don't uh, get, no, I, if, if, if I seem like I was knocking merchandise, you're crazy. I mean, I'm sitting here in my office, and it's covered with Doctor Who statues and, you know, and, yep. and Star Wars figures. And my son and daughter, one of the first things they ask is, like, are you going to make action figures of these guys? You know, of Hilo and Gina and, uh, sure. and DJ. And I was like, yeah. No, we definitely are. Of course we are. <laughs> and some of the other characters, obviously, too, because those are going to be fun as well. Yeah. No, I – look, I am not uh, – I am not adverse to, to merchandise. Quite frankly, I, I love it. I mean, I'll, I'll even go the other direction on it when, uh, like Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson always tries to correct people when they say, oh, you just hate merchandise. He goes, no. He said, he, he makes my like, I never hated merchandise. What what I wanted was that it, it's my decision. <laughs> like, they can't just make the stuff without asking me. Sure. Um, and uh, then they get back to like, yeah, but. You know, you know how much money you could have made if you made a Hobbs doll? He goes, yeah, I didn't want to make a Hobbs doll. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? I, I do. I find uh, every creator is very individual like that. God, uh, you know, uh, Ron Perlman at San Diego was begging to do Hellboy 3, and I think we'd all like to see it. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if Mignola really wants to do no, it. I think he, yeah, it's like he, I don't know. He might be done. It's like no, it's like yeah. You know, we're, we're, you, see, I, you know, he might think like no, I'm good. You know, or doesn't quite yeah. have the story there. Does you know who knows? It's and totally fair. That's totally his prerogative. It's his character. It's his thing, man. People run the gamut. You've got you know, yeah. you've got the king himself. You got Charles Schultz, who you know basically peanuts helped sort of create what what modern day merchandising is. Absolutely. You know, they were on everything in, in every way, shape or form, you know, from the fifties and on forward when new products were being invented, they were figuring out of ways of putting the peanuts on it. And Damn straight, man, you know, and the flip side of that was Bill Watterson with Calvin Hobbes, who didn't want it on anything, you know, or then you had stuff like far side, you know, they was, he was happy to put that stuff everywhere, you know? Sure. Um, Gary Larson. Yeah, good stuff. absolutely. And, uh, and then Burke Brethed. Uh, yep. from Bloom County. Really didn't yep. want much of anything. Um, even though he admired and loved Schultz and uh, probably did not love and admire uh, Jim Davis of Garfield, who, like Garfield pretty much like picked up the baton from, from Peanuts as far as merchandising and just, yeah. and just ran and ran and ran. True. Um, all of these things, that said, is like I grew up with tons of Peanuts merchandise. I actually grew up with tons of Garfield merchandise until I kind of grew out of it. And uh, as a kid, I would have liked nothing more than having a Bloom County shirt. I think I had like the one or two they did. Um, so it's it's it, it is the kid in me that has no problem uh, wanting to do like you name it. Yeah, you know, I would love to to do that stuff because all anyone has to do is walk through my house and see the you know seven hundred Funko vinyl pop you know <laughs> vinyl pops I got and like uh, that's probably a real number you know. <laughs> I hear you, man. You know, these are the things I love. I'm, I'm, I'm a toy geek, so um, I, I always get excited when you know you get to have a new toy. So I would, <laughs> I would never be one to deprive the people of Hilo toys if the day should ever come. You know, if like you know, it, I, I feel weird bringing it up in that way. Like, yeah, okay, just 
Let's not get ahead of yourself, all right? I hear you, man. Yeah, and it's shame on me. I'm the one bringing it up. But yeah, and again, because I've already read the book, so I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. I think you're on to something. So, no, and honestly, I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you are working on book three already, and the, the plan is for six. So that's cool. Well, all right, let me ask you as we wrap up yes. some, some fast uh, geek kind of things. Uh, did you watch, uh, did, have you watched the Netflix, uh, Daredevil? Oh my God. Did we ever? So we were the last of our kind of core geek group to watch it. And I mean, I mean, we, I mean, uh, me and me and my wife, Pam, uh, yeah, you have Pam. Yeah, yeah, no, Pam, Pam, Pam's a proper geek. She's at a girl. Yeah, no, she's not, she's not a full on comic reader, but I think one of the things we bonded on way back when is like, you like star Wars? It's like, oh, beautiful woman likes star Wars. Like, this is a good thing. So <laughs> You know, she likes Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. She's she read like crap tons of fantasy uh, series as as a kid. I mean, she was a voracious reader. She's a genius, so she would read a lot. Um, so she she's right in there with the cool stuff. So I actually had she kept she was traveling on business for the longest time. And very long story short, so we finally watched it, and we were binge watching. I think Pam can get by in like two hours sleep, and would have been happy to watch like five episodes a night. Um, but we were like sort of like holding ourselves to about two episodes a night. But man, that was okay. some good stuff. That was really, really great. It was just sort of it actually just just defied my expectations. I had high expectations because I was like, I was as I said, I was the last man through the door as far as all my geek buddies. You know, from like like Brad Meltzer and 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 you know scores of other people or something. Like you haven't seen it yet? Go go watch it. Go watch it now so we can talk about it. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, hell, they made Kingpin a sympathetic character and still a villain at the same time. It was brilliant. Yep. It was brilliant. No, it was, oh, my God, yeah. No, I agree with that. How about some of the uh, the movies this year? Did you guys have a chance? And have you taken the kids to Age of Ultron or Ant-Man or anything? No. My son is no. just... Oh, you guys were in New Zealand, actually, too. We so. mi- Well, man, I missed I missed uh, Days of Future Past completely in the theaters. I missed okay. it like I was going to get there like the week before we were going to leave. And then uh, our, our babysitter got sick and I couldn't go. And I was like, and I was, and I had to treat it like it was no big deal, except I, part of me was dead inside after that. Like, I, I, I don't know if I ever recovered. It's like, I didn't, I didn't actually say out loud to anyone. Like, do you know what this is? Like they've made days of future past into a movie and I don't get to see it in the theaters. I'm just saying, I'm just saying like, I don't get to do this. Okay. Whatever, whatever. Fine. Um, uh, but uh, my my kiddo, my son, just turned ten, and uh, uh, he's been desperate to see like all the superhero movies. But I've had to parcel them out. So he just saw. I'd say one of my one of the most fun movie watching experiences I've had in a really really long time is watching Captain America: First Avenger with my ten year old son. He stood up the whole time. He, he he literally couldn't sit down. He was yelling at the screen. He's throwing punches. And I am absolutely giddy and thrilled. And I, I liked the movie a whole lot the first time I saw it. I really like liked it. Bananas for it? No. Now it's just one of my favorites because I'm just see I watching it with him. Man, he had a good time seeing that movie. I, I mean, I'm not even joking. He stood up the whole time. I think the only time he sat down maybe it was like he had to get a, like an emergency bathroom break. We're watching it like at home, so you know, it's like, dude, you have to go to the bathroom? No, yes, like I can pause it. Go, buddy, go. So he saw that, lost his dang mind. We just watched uh, the first Thor, lost his dang okay. mind. I rewatched the first Iron Man. He cannot see that. 
<laughs> I was amazed, like, wow, this is this is way more violent and intense and 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 gritty than I than I imagined. This is just you know, it's kind of funny, it kind of fits the characters. Like Cap, Cap's kind of all ages, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Captain America's all ages. Iron Man, he's got a little grit there. Thor, yeah, drinking, yeah, sex yeah, and, you know, There's some lady stuff going on there, some romance, oh, which yeah. a little, to- um, little torture in the desert at the beginning and the origin and everything. There's a lot of torture, and that was sort yeah. of like I think we might have to skip to the second one, but yeah, coming up, he, he slated to watch the Avengers sometime in the next two weeks, um, so we're gonna watch that at home, and part of me is like, it's really really exciting actually to get to watch these with him. Um, I I still haven't shown him the first Superman movie. Uh, because, well, he's, he asked, like, why can't I see it? And I said, there's two parts of the movie that made me very upset when I was a kid and I'm worried about you. And uh, I, I told him about, it, like, you know, Lex Luthor, you know, kills a guy <laughs> when, when he shoves that guy in front of the train by remote. Mm-hmm. When he first oh, you're talking about the, the, yeah, you're talking about the Donner movie. I'm talking about the original, not Man of Steel. Yeah, yeah. Now, Man of Steel, probably have a long time before seeing Man of Steel. Um, oh, I can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're talking about the 78 Donner movie. Oh, yeah, movie. yeah, no, and then when, and when Lois dies. You know, and uh, if I'm spoiling, wow, when, yeah. when I'm spoiling, if I'm spoiling this for anybody, I think the statute of limitations is up <laughs> on the 1979 Superman movie. That's from I'm, I'm just just clarifying it that I'm giving up the store. Lois dies at the end, and he brings her back. Um, so I remember being sort of just really deeply, deeply upset, and also kind of moved. Uh, when Lois dies, and you remember when uh, when Chris Reeve, you know, shouts at the sky and flies into the sky, you know, and his voice echoing through the heavens. I, I, I am reasonably sure my son might not recover for weeks. Uh, I can appreciate that. God, I thought you were going to even bring up uh, Glenn Ford dying. I think he can handle that. That's a heart attack. That was that was. <laughs> that's, that's a little soft one there. Feels his wrist, kills over. I think my kid's okay with that one. Oh, I, all right, because, yeah, I'll tell you, that's like Balthazar always says. That's like, he goes, my God, he goes, I turn to my dad and go, Dad, Superman's dad just died. And, of course, Mr. Balthazar like, yeah, it's Glenn Ford. <laughs> <laughs> so it is one of my favorite, like, moments of that movie. So, yeah, you know. Oh, God. I, You know, and honestly, if I may, in those two movies, Glenn Ford did so much with those five minutes. And I really like Kevin Costner and thought it was perfect casting in Man of Steel. Yeah. But Glenn Ford kicked his ass in the Jonathan Kent role, I thought. Well, I think he he's the, he's the pod Kent we grew up with, you know? Yeah. That, that's him, you know, and he, he really... Um, that one speech, you are here for a reason. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what that reason is, but it's not to catch touchdowns. And it's just that they really captured Tom Mankiewicz's script. He captured the character in that one thing. And I mean, you know, we, we grew up on, uh, you know, the Carrie Bates and the Marty Pascoe uh, stories, or at least I did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm about five years older than you, but you know what I'm talking about. I do, about. I do, I do. And I got, you probably, as you as you're do, as you're doing stuff. the lines, I got to chill. I got to chill. <laughs> you were here for you a reason. What, yeah. Before, because another thing I wanted to ask you was, like, do you read any of the current DC and Marvel stuff? Or because I understand, I always say that like working in radio to do another radio thing is like working in a hardware store <laughs> and you know diving into a pile of nails after work and stuff like that. So I can appreciate either answer. But yeah, like, are you keeping up at all with what's going on? Uh, yes and no. I'd say it's, it's more like this that. Um, uh, with years of writing superhero comics, I was not reading a lot of what was going on over at Marvel. So I'm doing a lot of catch up, uh, sure. you know, right? Like reading, reading Civil War, finally. 
um, cool. catching up on all of Bendis' stuff for like, you know, like a lot, like just piles of stuff that he did. Um, I know Brian, I've known Brian for a really long time. So sure. catching up yeah, on yeah. that. Um, the recent stuff that I've, I've, I'm digging back into, uh, I, I take my son to comic stores all the time and, um, it came, I said, you know, my buddies have mentioned how good the Star Wars comics are. And they all like flipped out and went like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like, are you a Star Wars fan? And like my son and I are like, we're fanatics. Like we're big fans. Like, well, you gotta, yeah, yeah. And it's like, all right, give us everything. So he and I are like reading all of the Marvel uh, Star Wars titles, which are amazing because it's just you know it's like oh yeah this is this is just right you know they, I mean I are you reading them do you know where they take place it's like this is this is right after the books take pick up after Star Wars and before Empire right. Which, yes, I did. I'm, a, I'm generally aware. I've, I mean, you know, there's so much to read. I haven't been reading the arcs, so please go on. No, they're really good. Like they, they have the the core Star Wars book, which is really interesting. They had their own yeah, Jesus book. Yeah, and they've got a Darth Vader book, which is really interesting. And what's cool is that, you know, take, taking the idea that like we know everything. So, um, for me, like one of the one of the best storylines is is revolving around Darth Vader. You know. For us now, the mask is off. We know who he is. We know how he grew up. We know how he became Darth Vader. We know all about Anakin. So they have this great, this this terrific, well, <laughs> this concept for one that the Death Star blew up at the end of Star Wars. And you know what? That was a big fuck up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the Emperor is not yeah, happy with it? No, like they're they're very unhappy. <laughs> like like this is a huge screw up. You know, this is awesome. Is, Go on. Yeah. Oh, you see, I, <laughs> and, and everyone else is like, yeah, dumbass. That's why we're all reading Darth Vader, except for you. I'm the last guy through the door. Now. It was, Go on. Well, I like the idea that they, the, the, where they're picking up is like, this is an enormous, gigantic, we built the greatest weapon, you know, in the, in the history. And you let these jerk offs blow it up. That's awesome. Um, so he's pissed. Darth Vader's kind of left holding the bag. And then there's also this bit that, Darth Vader's got this weird sense about this kid, and then he finds out who he is. <laughs> he didn't know. Like when we pick up an Empire, he's looking for the, for, for for young Skywalker, so right. he already knows. So this is the, now we're having the moments where he finds out that this, this is the aha moment. Yeah, okay. and I had, wow, I, I had not thought about that when I read it. You know, actually, it's like, oh, he doesn't know yet. How cool is that? And then he finds out. It's like, oh my god! And it's like it's all his empathy and pathos and anger and like this is a wonderful story. And wow! And my kid is very very young, but watched all the Star Wars movies, including the prequels. You know, he knows his stuff. He's into it too because you know he he looks at Anakin and Darth Vader differently. Like he, um, yes, I mean, go on. We yeah. watched the movies in order. <laughs> um, although he knew even going into it because. You know, everyone's a blabbermouth these days. He knew going into it, like for the first time he saw Darth Vader, it's like, so that's Luke's father? It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, so you went one through six. You didn't go four through six. Uh, oh, no, no, nine. my friend. No, no. We started with of New Hope, oh, no, Empire, you know, and, uh, and. Oh, you did start with New Hope, Empire, yeah, Jedi, yeah. and did the prequel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. All right, there you go. A buddy, uh, actually, Brad Meltzer told me this story that he'd heard like secondhand. He might have read it in an article where some guy decided, like, no, we'll show them an order because that's that's the way Lucas wants it. We'll show them an order. And by the time they got to Empire, um, and they're watching, uh, and Luke gets to Dagobah and meets Yoda, and Yoda's all, <laughs> you know, he's, he's doing all that. 
right? The, the, uh, the father's sitting there with his son, and his son is visibly upset. Like, what's, he goes, what's, what's wrong? It's like, what happened to Yoda? It's like, what do you mean what happened to him? He, did, did he go crazy or something? Is he, is he okay? Wow. And, and the father had to explain, like, no, 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 Yoda's trying to, he's just testing Luke. Like, it's okay. He's fine. It's like, wow. It's like, oh, no. Yoda's having a senior moment. Yeah. It's oh, like, oh, no, he didn't get it. Like, because he's watching him in the wrong order. It's like, this sure. is how you do it. You're not supposed to do it this way. There's an order. Wow. Four, five, six, uh, then one, two, three. That's right. Because, because, um, Again, Art Balthazar, he's my focus group for, for little, little kids because yeah. my nephews are in their 20s now, and I already you know took them through the good – You know, I did the same thing, four through six, one, two, three. But uh, his son Gordy, who I think is 12 now, used to play with um, his Darth Vader doll and a Luke doll, and it's Anakin and Luke right. as far as he was concerned because he was, he was you know brought up one, two, three, and it's like, oh, no, you know, Anakin's a good guy. Right. And it's like, you know, uh, you know it's like, oh, they, you know, you try. <laughs> <laughs> This is interesting. Well, there you go. You've just sold five uh, Marvel comics. I think they're up to issue five or whatever with the Vader series. Happy to help you. Trades coming in October. I know that because they, they, <laughs> the guys of the store even told me, like, yeah, a couple of these are getting hard to find. Like, the trades come out in October. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just wait. Okay. Oh, there you go. That's awesome, man. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> Judd, this is awesome. This is very good. You did uh, you did great. And I uh, I am glad to help you spread the word about Hilo that comes out in September. Is it early September? or we're out The earliest of September, September 1st. Ah, there you go. Wow. Weeks, around the corner. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, and people can get it obviously through the usual book channels, and they will be at the existing brick and mortar bookstores and online, yep. and uh, also uh, you know heavy uh, comic book uh, action too. I would imagine. Yes, thankfully, because uh, because I used to write the superhero comics, uh, word has spread. So I know Excellent. I know from within the community that's going to be yeah that uh, they'll also be in comic stores, which is fun for me. Uh, Excellent. And I also dig that's a hardcover, which is kind of fun. Did you? Get- it is. It. Yes, and it's a no. It's a it's a nice looking uh, graphic novel, uh, and uh, reasonably priced. I'm looking at the price right now for thirteen ninety nine. Yeah, but you get a lot of story, and it's uh, it's something that you will be able to read with your kids, enjoy yourself, and uh, pass along. And uh, the first of many. Yes. Uh, we're, so because spring is issue, uh, is uh, book two. Yeah. And then uh, and I would imagine fall of uh, 2016 will be uh, book three. Unless I screw up my schedule, we'll see. I'm, I understand, I'm, but but probably not. I'm, again, this is all I do now, so it's all good. I can handle this. <laughs> well, good job, man. Nice going, and uh, happy to spread the word. And uh, you'll come back, and well, hopefully, I'll see you. I don't know. Are you going to do any uh, conventions in the fall? Are you going to go to New York or anything? I will be at the New York Comic Con for sure. It's on. Are you going to be in Artist Alley, or are you just going to be uh, up in uh, main main room for Random House? Or I'll probably be in the main room for Random House, but I will, I will probably I will definitely float around. I'll, I'll probably do a signing at DC, and you know maybe the Comic Legal Defense Fund. I will be out Excellent. and about. Very very cool, and yeah, man. So uh, you know, in the in the distant future, hopefully Newberry Ween, and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing. Uh, about a collected caper. Yeah. Long overdue. So that's great. But uh, yeah, man, I'll try to touch base with you in October in New York. If not, uh, please, next time, uh, y- you know, if you want to talk about the next Hilo book, you let me know. But anything I could do to help spread the word, I'm, as always, you're welcome back. Well, thank you, sir. I always enjoy these conversations immensely. Immensely. It's really always, it's, it is it is a lot of fun, sir. You, you To say you know your stuff is like, is an understatement. It's always a, a deep pleasure to sit around and, you know, and, and shoot the with you about you know comics and all this geek stuff and because uh, you know because I listen 
<laughs> so it's always a little bit of an odd experience. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, like, you know, uh, I, I listen to the show and now I get to talk to you. It's always, it's, I mean, am I the only one who's ever said this? You know, no, it's, a, it's very flattering. And uh, no, it's always nice to hear. So I thank you. It's, it, it's embarrassing me. Well, and I, and Judd, I've always known you as a, as a creator first and foremost. I didn't, I didn't watch the real world. I mean, so, so that's why, like, for me, it's always like, oh, yeah, he also did that other thing. And that's why I'm sure people are like, how can, how can you not talk at all? You keep talking about Pam. Talk about the show more. And it's like, no. It's, we're good. It's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, among the very privileged few who had, you know, an amazing experience. You know, I, you know, sure. you know, upstairs, uh, from the house right now is, is my wife who I met on the show putting our two children to bed. So, you know, that's, that's a major dividend for being on reality TV as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, no, you guys won. Yeah, you guys <laughs> did it right, man. You did the one show, you had a nice life, and you guys are doing good, and that's wonderful. That's, that's the perfect, you know, uh, yeah, I don't want you selling me, you know, swampland in, in South Dakota or showing up as a correspondent on Extra. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the other, like, yeah, you know, post-reality show. Like, yeah, scenario. for that. We always turn down the uh, the challenges where they would get together real-world and road rules competitors and Catholic. Oh, I remember you told me that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jesus. No, I mean, they asked, for, they asked like, every year for, like, five years. Like, no, nah, I think we're good. You know, not in an insulting way. It's just like, nah, just, you know, if I want to sit on a block of ice in a Speedo, I think I'll just do it for my own pleasure, not to, like, not, not to win, like, 500 <laughs> yeah. bucks or something. Exactly. Is it, like, 25 years? Was it 1990? It was actually 1994. So it's, oh, it was 94. Yeah. Okay, so it's 21. 21 okay. years, yeah. All right. All right. It's legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. So, no, man, keep it up, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk again because it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I thank you, dude. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that you enjoyed the book. Thank you. So there you go, Judd Winnick. Happy to have him back uh, sooner than later. Man, two years is far too long in between Judd Winnick conversations. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the Cincy Comic Con, happening September 12th and 13th at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center. It is coming up in just a couple weeks. Can't wait to see everybody and enjoy the excellent conversation that we're going to have uh, with people like Steve Lieber and uh, Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher. Uh, the Fables guys, uh, guys like uh, Bill Willingham, Matthew Sturgis, and Chris Robertson are all going to be together. Rick Remender and Tony Moore are getting together because it is um, the 10th anniversary of Fear Agent. And Mike Hawthorne is going to be there to celebrate as well. So that's going to be an excellent panel. Uh, ben Templesmith, Dave Wachter, Chris Sprouse, Mark Schultz, Phil Noto, Jeff Parker, Eric Powell, uh, Derek Robertson, Mike Morisi, Mike Norton, Kevin McGuire. Uh, Mark Kidwell, Sarah Dial, Ming Doyle, Adam Withers, and Comfort Love, Cullen Bunn, Ryan Brown, Jeremy Bastian, Chris Burnham, Sean Crystal, Matthew Clark. They are all going to be at Cincinnati Comic Con. I will be there as well. Moderating panels. Really looking forward to the conversation that I have at Cincy Comic Con. Uh, three years running. It's been great. It has... Uh, uh, disrupted my other fall convention plans because I always have such a great time at Cincy Comic Con. And you should too if you're in the tri-state area. This is a great show. It gives you the opportunity to touch these creators, uh, get uh, original art from them, commission sketches, you name it. Excellent vendors there as well. Join us, won't you, uh, at Cincy Comic Con. And a uh, great ad, by the way, in all the uh, DC Comics uh, that are out this month in August. But uh, Cincy Comic Con is happening on the 12th and 13th of September at the Northern Kentucky Convention Center, 1 West River Center Boulevard. 
And uh, it's right there in Covington, uh, Kentucky, right across the river from Cincinnati. But it is just beautiful. I can't wait to hang out with everybody in just a couple weeks. For more details, check out their website, CincyComicCon.com. Okay, next up, I've got uh, an old buddy from high school that is uh, coming out with a brand new uh, science fiction novel, an adventure novel. It's the start of a new series, and uh, I think you're going to really like it. It's my buddy Dwayne Burghardt, and I'm happy to talk to him and some of his interesting ideas that he presents in Gopto. So uh, let's uh, talk to Dwayne Burghardt about Gopto now on Word Balloon. Dwayne Burghardt, welcome to Word Balloon. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. This is very strange because uh, we're, we're high school friends and uh, all of a sudden I find out uh, you're writing science fiction. You know, John, it is, it, it's, it is a genuine thrill and I mean this. You know, to be back on the air with you, it's been huh. 32 years and a couple of months and yeah. It, uh, That's yeah, WNTH, yeah. Nutria High School. Feels good, man too funny that's right and it yeah it is that's very true so back when you know our high school radio station still exists yeah 88.1 fm the top of the rock at the front of the dial there you go seriously like that station for a second if we may at Nutria East was so nice to broadcast from because we were up in the tower we had windows all over the studio and stuff and you had this nice view and it was it really was pretty in the spring and summer when you think about when you think about the asset yeah and I know we got to talk about the book and all but when you think oh, about yeah. the asset that it was and what it did for for the for the people that were there and were able to to work there it was just really it was a spectacular opportunity and I just really it was a, it was really one of the highlights of my whole life I really enjoyed it I hear you, man, and and you know, distinguished uh, veteran alums like Nick Charles and Chet Kopic, and I'm trying to think of who else in a in a broadcast sense. Yeah, uh, uh, lots of them, and 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 of course, lots of other people who a lot of people wouldn't know the names of who are just as who deserve to be just as famous and and were, whose work was impressive. Absolutely, and Ralph Bellamy and Anne Margaret, if you know your old movies, so you know. And Margaret that. was in my stepmother's class, in fact. Wow, very cool. There you go. Uh, the beginning of many little interesting asides. Yeah. Uh, beyond uh, talking about your sci-fi book, uh, Gopto, and I'm bringing up the description, uh, your pitch on Amazon, man. So so the story, let me tell you a little bit. So the, the story basically sure. goes like this. It centers around a young man who is an Air Force officer, and he's working uh, uh, not too many years from now at a radar station in New Mexico. And his job is to monitor space junk. Uh, and it, which is pretty, as you can imagine, a fairly mundane and, and, and boring job. And he's doing it. And one day, one of the pieces of junk that he's monitoring changes course, which space junk doesn't generally do. And so he calls it in and uh, he gets told, hey, don't worry about it. This is just a drill. We're just testing you again. It's no problem. And uh, we're going to take care of it, blow it off. And here's the and, and really, to some extent, the book is. Uh, it's about, like all science fiction, there's, there's elements of humanity, and, and we, we talk about big ideas. And one of the big ideas that it comes back to is curiosity. Because really, at the moment he's told, hey, blow it off, it's no big deal, that's what he wanted most to do in the world, was to go back to doing his thing and forgetting about it. But then when he got told to blow it off, as we all know, that's a moment where you want to do something and then you're told, oh, that's what we want you to do. And suddenly, wait, why do you want me to do that? And he can't. And so what happens next is he gets pulled into what happens. And 
That leads him to an actual alien ship, which leads him to a contractor where there has to be uh, the obligatory beautiful girl. Where uh, he and he ends up in this unbelievable set of circumstances. He ends up in the middle of this massive turf war between two very powerful Air Force generals. And basically, you know, it, it started off like a normal weekend, but it really didn't end up like one. And uh, and that's really kind of the the basis for the entire story. That's excellent, man. No, very cool. Um, you know, did how'd you get your research for the for the real stuff? You know, interestingly enough, a lot of this it's interesting how people. So many people have written me already, which is so awesome. When people send me, I'll tell you what I love. People send me pictures, and I try to put them on my author Facebook page when I can. But they send me pictures of them themselves reading the book somewhere, you know, like in a coffee shop or what. And that's just so cool. And they write me and they tell me, oh, I like this or that about the book. Um, one of the things that people are, are have commented on is how how did I get all the military stuff? And I was obviously, I, when I left Nutrier, I, I joined the Navy. I was an mm-hmm. ROTC scholarship student. I was out as a, as a Navy officer for a number of years. And so I have a, uh, the military uh, part of it is is based on my own personal military experience. Uh, and I tried to make it as approachable for non-military people as well. And I've actually I've had people in the military and out of the military tell me how happy they were with the fact that it wasn't overloaded with jargon, that I got the emotion without getting people bogged down in the in the minutia, which which is very important. Um, Excellent. So that's kind of where that where that research came from. The only thing that was really heavily researched, there were two things about the book since you asked this question that were really really hard to get exactly right. One of them was the landing site. And so I spent an inordinate amount of time with Google Earth uh, going over areas <laughs> and looking at pictures and, and coming up with uh, the actual crash site and that part of New Mexico. Um, I've been through a couple of times because I actually drove through it to make sure everything worked. Uh, but that was something that I, I spent an incredible amount of time researching and, and getting just right. And then the other part was the timing. There is a in the back half of the book, if, if you read it, uh, one of the most gratifying pieces of feedback I've gotten from lots of people is that it's, it's very exciting. And in the back half of the book in particular, you're just reading at a million miles an hour because it's so exciting and going and going. Well, making all of that action happen in the right order at the right minute and having all these different storylines sort of converge I had a giant right and whiteboard in my office with the different plot lines, and I actually had a map drawn out, and I'm trying to figure out how many minutes would this happen. This, that, was, uh, that was probably, sure. in, in the last stages of writing the book, that was probably the most um, angst-creating moment uh, of, of the process. Where did you learn uh, to write uh, novels? What uh, oh, you know? What what influences you, you know, know helped you kind of make this um, decision? I that's a really good question. I don't know how anybody else does it. I've been writing stories. You know, my my wife has been living with the little with the characters in my mind for many years, and and I've been writing stories down for some time. And, and about a year ago, she kind of got sick of my just telling all these stories and keeping them around. She said, "You got to write this stuff out." And really encouraged me to to be a writer. And so I didn't go through any formal training to write this novel at all. I just simply took the story and I just started developing it. And, and, you know, um, again, I I don't I think every writer must be different to some degree. But what I do is uh, I, I write character driven stories and it's very important for me to know the characters. And I know the characters in my books very, very well. 
So what I do, but I don't necessarily have any idea what they're going to say. And so what I do is I know where they are. I can envision the room that they're in or the place that they're at very, very clearly. And I can tell you what color the walls are and the floor and this and that and the other thing. And so I've built that in my mind. And then I take these characters that I know and I put them in that scene and I know what's going to happen, but I don't know anything about how we're going to get from point A to point Z. So I put them in that room and I go, okay, do your thing. Start talking. Start talking, right. And, and mm-hmm. I basically feel like I'm not writing the book as much as I'm transcribing it from what the little people in my mind say, for sure. lack of a better term. So that's kind of how I no, do You're not the first writer to tell me that, Brian Bendis, uh, the fine Spider-Man, Avengers, X-Men, million Marvel thing writer. No. That's exactly what he says. That's his first tip. Cool. Put two, people, put two people in a room and let them start talking. Let them go. So. Very cool, excellent man. I uh, I know too. You're uh, you're a techie geek in the in the best sense, and uh, you know you're on a podcast now. But you had a precursor uh, to a podcast back in the day. Way back, in, yes. In fact, I was um, I was one of the very first people. I spent most of my life in the Apple technology world. I was uh, I I am what I call a recovering serial entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> I I have started seventeen different businesses. Um, including uh, a company that was called Mac Experts, which ended up being one of the largest independent Apple dealers in the U.S. at one point. Um, and yeah, but but the business you're referring to was Mac OS Radio. I was one of the very first people in the in the precursor to the podcast days to discover a technology called the QuickTime Streaming Server. Oh yeah. And uh, and so I, I I formed the Mac OS Radio Network and was the primary host uh, for that for uh, two years. And oh my gosh, did I love that because, you know, it was, it did, it pushed so many buttons for me. It pushed the button of Apple technologies, which I had spent so much of my life just absolutely surrounded by and, and loving. It, it pushed the, the, uh, the radio button, you know, the, the sure. piece of being a WNTH and, you know, all those different, there was, and, and so there was all these different pieces of my life that sort of came together in that moment. And it was just so much fun. And I got to meet people. Uh, like Douglas Adams. I mean, yes. I got to interview Douglas Adams twice. The second wow. time was just a couple of months before he, he passed, and it was, that was so sad. He was such an amazing guy. Um, people who are, are your fans will probably know if I say the name Robert Llewellyn, who played Crichton on Red Dwarf over in the U.K., oh, sure. uh, oh, yeah. and he actually started a thing called the British Web Broadcasting Company, or BWebB, which was also QuickTime Streaming Server based, and so I got to interview him. What um, years is this again? This would have been 2000, 2001, 2002, that area. Very cool. And I got to, you know, I would go to the, the trade shows and I met uh, Sinbad, Gregory Hines, you know, all these cool, <laughs> cool. people. And I got, I got Sinbad. I, was, I walked up to him and I said, hey, would you do a voiceover? Just do a, you know, a station ID for me for my little <laughs> thing. And he just, and, and so he goes, yo, man, this is Sinbad. You listen to Mac OS Radio. And I was like, oh, this is just too cool. And have you heard Sinbad lately? He's been making the podcast rounds. And, uh, he's such uh, a cool guy. He, this, this, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. Seriously, if if you're not into what he's been doing lately, I can appreciate. You know, I mean, I remember about Star Search and the crazy hair and stuff. And it's like Sinbad is like, first of all, incredibly like uh, respected in the comedy circles, and it's because he just is so naturally funny. Yeah. And uh, and my God, he's a great storyteller. And yeah, he was on Mark Marin and Pete Holmes lately. Fantastic interviews. No, very interesting guy. Yeah, I I loved and I so I really <laughs> because about Sinbad. Yeah. By all means. And I I miss I I miss that and I I really um, honestly if I could I it's one of the reasons that I think you know it's so cool to see you doing this because uh, oh, I yeah because you know it's this is really. 
for all of us that, that have a love of broadcasting, this is where broadcasting has gone. And Absolutely, it's, man. it's just really, the, it's so fun. Uh, every time I get the chance to do it now, it just reminds me of how cool it is. And, and yeah, I, I would, I'd go back, if I could make a living at it, say, I'd go back to it tomorrow. Well, you know, maybe, maybe the itch is there. And, and hey, it's a, it's a great platform to make people aware of the other things you do. That's my problem. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a widget. If I had a widget, <laughs> I'd really have something here. But no, you know, think about it. The comedians, I mean, it's, it's just their way of kind of, you know, staying in touch with their audience. And then when they have a live appearance, they've got the built-in audience from the podcast and stuff. And it's, it's just smart. And, uh, you know, I, I, authors do it. I know. You know, I want to say, and here, I'm going to look him up while we're talking, Steve Scott. Steve Scott. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Steve Scott writes. He writes a ton of books, and he's been he's been a podcaster from day one. So, I my my one of my daughters has been telling me to put up a YouTube channel, and one of the things that I intend to do is because people have asked me questions about uh, about about Gopto and about Ada, which is the this, the second novel that I'm working on right now, and and cool. what the series is and all that, and and so I I what I want to do is kind of for people who want more information to be able to talk a little bit about the characters and. And where they come from and, and what they do. There's a, um, I'm a big believer in the DVD extras kind of thing. I love that you stuff. Bet. And, and I'm sure a lot of your, your podcast listeners are really into that. You know, the commentary tracks and stuff. We all kind of sure. get off on that. And, um, there's a section after my novel called Author's Notes, which is essentially your, your director's commentary track, if you will, for the book, when I, I spend several pages kind of talking about different things about the book. But there's a lot more, information that I can that I can transmit about it and so I I I've definitely I will find a way to do that at some point and I'll get that information out there for people who who are fans and, and who like to read it and, and just you know want more want more information no that's smart I think that's great man I uh I'm I'm glad that there's going to be a sequel. Is Andy Newton your uh, your star for your sequel? Andy is not. Uh, ironically Andy isn't in the second book at all oh, okay. he's in so the third second. book um, oh, funny. So he goes, well, this is the funny, it's, it's really interesting you ask that question. So the second novel um, is about AI. It's called Ada, and it's about artificial intelligence. And I actually have a preview of that book at the end of Gopto. You can actually read at the end of the book. You can see the sort of prologue, if you will, to the next novel. And it gives you an idea of where that story is going. And I actually started writing that um, about a year ago, well before I finished Gopto. And I had intended for them to be completely unrelated in any manner, shape, or form. And as I was uh, finishing the writing process for Gopto, I suddenly, just one day, was lightning bolt struck with this incredibly, I thought, very clever way to sort of um, put stitch the books together, the first, second, and third books that I had in, in my head. And I thought, oh, gosh, I, I, I have to go back and do this. And so I, I, I amended the the uh, end of Gopto a little bit so that I could make the stories fit together very naturally. And hopefully uh, readers will feel that sort of thread that will tie the books together. Um, but the characters uh, like Andy and, and Heather, for example, will not be in the second book at all, but they will be back in the third book, which is more I would suppose traditionally a sequel to Gopto in that it will okay. bring a lot of that universe and the world that I've developed for that book back in. And what it really does, actually what the third book will do is it will take these two seemingly disparate origin stories, if you will, and bring them together in the third book. 
and Smart. and and interweave them in a way that I hope people will go. Oh, so that's cool. It's so. the Berghardt universe, absolutely. Right, exactly. Why not? No, I think that's great, man. I uh, buddy of mine, Chuck Dixon, who a uh, big comic book writer, has been uh, you know turning to writing books and uh, writing men's adventure books, and he's having a blast. And you know, kind of learned his storytelling chops in comics. Can tell pretty much any genre, and yeah, he's got like uh, two or three series running. And you know that's really the comic book model as well. I say this most as much for the audience as talking to you in terms of you know don't just if you can link them that's great because you know the chances are when they see the new book they're going to want to come back to Gopto as well. Right, and that's, so. that's kind of the thought. And 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 you know there's there's so many. It's it's really interesting how this it comes back to Nutria for just a moment. Just how many unbelievably talented and creative human beings that we were blessed to to be associated with. Um, sure. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking of when you talk about the comic book world. Of course, uh, I, I'm sure you know Adu Payton, uh, who does uh, does comics, and uh, our friend uh, Tom Granius, a uh, really good friend of mine in Nutria as well, who's who's written a couple of New York Times bestsellers and worked for James Cameron for uh, for a number of years. Um, Very cool. And, and and in that process, I, and I I talked to Tom actually quite a bit in, in getting Gopto ready to to publish and all and. And he said, you know, you basically what you've got to do, build your world and you'll the audience will if you build it, they will come. So sure. That's kind of. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of, it's, it's I'm hoping that over time, uh, I, the question is, how, how long will it take me to squeeze all of that information out of my voluminous fat head and put it down and, you know, into <laughs> word documents, I guess, is the, the question. Well, that no, that hey, that's a good problem to have. I the great thing is people uh, can go if you're uh, if you're an Amazon uh, Kindle owner and an Amazon Prime person, you can uh, read Gopto for free uh, at Kindle Unlimited. But you know, hey, do the man a solid. You can also uh, buy it for four ninety nine at Kindle, and it's uh, twelve ninety nine in paperback. Yep. And if you search if you search under Gopto G O P T O, most of the things will come up as GoPro. So search for it with that and my name, even just Dwayne. But if you search G-O-P-T-O and Dwayne Burghard, it will come up right away or just G-O-P-T-O and Dwayne. It'll come up anyway, but it's uh, I, I should have uh, I probably should have changed the name of the character. But as I tell people, I don't change the characters names because that's their names. They tell me I don't tell them. So it's also a good opportunity for me to remind uh, the Word Balloon listeners that uh, I've got my Amazon store. If you go to wordballoon.com and uh, go through the portal there to Amazon, you know, as you've heard, I'm sure on other podcasts, it never costs any extra. But uh, any purchases that you make going through wordballoon.com to Amazon, I get a little kickback, a few pennies. Please on the do, dollar. please do. So go yeah, there. so. There's another excuse to, uh, to to buy the book, yeah. either uh, either in paperback or uh, or for your Kindle. So uh, that's that's really cool, Dwayne. I, I think that's awesome, and uh, I I wish you luck with this. I think this is a, a a good opportunity for you, and I think you're hitting it at the right time. It's, um, I, I, it's been I find so much it fun. It really has. Yeah, you know, it's it's just been uh, about two months since since the book has come out. Um, are you planning on going any uh, sci-fi conventions, anything in your backyard, or uh, you know, any any other kind of uh, book signings or anything? Well, I, I have a book signing here in Tucson on September 11th at Mostly Books. Uh, there are a couple of local bookstores here. If any of your listeners just really prefer to do business with independent booksellers and you don't have it there, uh, please do email me at Dwayne at DwayneBurghard.com. Tell me who that bookstore is, and we will work with them to get them to carry it for you. Um, 
so yeah, so we I uh, but I, I have the book signing on September 11th at Mostly Books. Um, I don't have I, there are a couple of science fiction conventions that I'm looking at um, in the in the relatively near future. Uh, I don't have anything right now that I have scheduled yet, but that was something you and I talked about Comic Con and uh, which yeah. places to go to and which places not to go to. And uh, so I, I that's one of those things that I'm gonna do, just haven't done yet. And I think mostly right now. I've been, I just, as you say, it was just only been two months. It's been the real focus was actually getting it out there. And I've still been sure. trying to just kind of soak in that thing. But yes, the next step is now you've got, it's funny when you write a book, you, there's a part of you that goes, oh, thank God I've written the book. It's over. I'm done. And you don't really realize, especially when it's your first book, you find out right away that no, that wasn't the end of the process. That was, that was actually the easy part. You know, this is what, what happens after you've written it. That's when the, the real fun begins. So, sure, the selling, the promoting, right. absolutely. So yeah. do you have any other uh, podcasts you want to point people to in terms of uh, recent interviews for this? I actually had just finished an interview with Earth Station One this week, uh, which is a sci-fi podcast, and I did uh, Liberal Fix Radio. If you go to the Dwayne N. Berghard author page and you kind of go through there, I keep people updated on Facebook uh, there, and I also I, – I'm just Dwayne Burkhardt on Twitter – uh, I, I try to make sure that anytime I have an appearance or something that I that I let people know. Excellent, man. Well, keep it up. Thanks. Nice going. And uh, let me know, uh, you know, if if I can help uh, when the next book is ready and stuff. And uh, we'll we'll keep uh, tabs on the Burkhard universe. Uh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, John. It, it, it's a it was a thrill being on the air with you again, man. Just really <laughs> awesome. Likewise, man. Very fun. WNTH eighty eight point one FM. Night talk is next. All right. There you have it, another Word Balloon in the books. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for uh, helping uh, keep the lights on. And uh, don't forget, if you want to help as well at Word Balloon, uh, you can do that by going to wordballoon.com and clicking on the uh, tab on how to donate to Word Balloon. I appreciate the help. Thank you. It makes it getting to these conventions that much easier and uh, you know, touching uh, some of these other people and getting uh, them to come on the show. So uh, keep it up. Uh, great stuff on the way, uh, not just only for uh, Labor Day weekend, but the entire month of September, which will include coverage of Cincy Comic-Con. But I still got lots of people that I promised to talk to at uh, San Diego that we haven't gotten to yet. So really interesting guests on the way uh, for Word Balloon. I hope you will join me. I hope you continue to enjoy the conversation that you get here on Word Balloon, unlike other podcasts that just reread their comic book collections to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's Okay. But, uh, you know, we, we try to do a little bit more and try and broaden the conversation and give you the behind-the-scenes looks at uh, what's going on in the creators' minds and also the publishers' minds when we get them on the phone or on Skype. And it's always a pleasure to bring you this kind of conversation each week on Word Balloon. Thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Excellent deals are waiting for you. Excellent, uh, including uh, all DC and Image titles. This month are 45% off. Take advantage of this exceptional deal happening at InStockTrades.com. Uh, also, uh, look for things like the Star Wars Legends Epic Collection. The Rise of the Sith Trade Paperback Volume 1 is 50% off, $17.49. Invisible Republic, Karina Becco, Gabe Hardman. Trade Paperback Volume 1, 50% off, $4.99. From Vertigo, you can get uh, Effigy, the uh, trade paperback that's uh, by my uh, buddy Tim Seeley and uh, Marley Zarcone. 
Uh, Idol Worship is the first trade paperback, and it is available now at 50% off, $7.49. You can get The Uncanny Avengers from uh, Rick Remender and Daniel Lacuna. Uh, It is also 50% off, just $8.99. Great deals are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check them out for yourself. And Word Balloon is brought to you by Cincy Comic Con, again happening on uh, September 12th and September 13th at the Northern Kentucky uh, Convention Center, 1 West River Center Boulevard in Covington, just across the river from Cincinnati. Easy to get to, great rates. It is a wonderful laid-back convention, but, man, it is just loaded with talent. Uh, Tony and Kara Moore have outdone themselves again with people like Brendan Fletcher and Cameron Stewart and Steve Lieber and Cullen Bunn and Evan Dorkin and Sean Dove and Ming Doyle and Sarah Dyer and Ray Fox and Kyle Hotz and Mark Kidwell and Kevin McGuire and Jim Mifoon and Mike Marisi and Mike Norton and Phil Noto and Jeff Parker, Rick Remender, Chris Sprouse, Mark Schultz, Mike Ruth, Ben Templesmith, Dave Wagner, Alexis Zurich. All of these excellent creators are going to be at Cincy Comic-Con. Join us. Great panels. Great chances to get original art and commissions from these amazing artists. Great chance to talk to these incredible writers. Please join us September 12th and 13th at the uh, Northern Kentucky Convention Center. For more details, check out their website, CincyComicCon.com, or look for their ad in uh, DC Comics in the month of August. That'll do it for Word Balloon. John Sutcher saying thanks again for listening. And uh, looking forward to talking to you more in the weeks ahead. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.